0: This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano.
1: For the last several decades, whenever I get to turn on something electronic, be it a television set, a radio, or a computer and hear the voice of Richard Bay do anything, it is a real pleasure. It doesn't matter what Richard Bay is doing. He could uh, be—he could be— he could be emceeing a fight. He could be doing phone sex. <laughs> Maybe not oh, that. Oh, Frank. But he could be emceeing a fight between uh, two divorcees. He could be giving commentary about international affairs. He could be uh, commenting about books, or he could be impersonating uh, a right-wing talk show host as a caricature. Whatever Richard Bay does, I am and always have been a fan of. And uh, even if it means getting Richard in studio at, at in the dead of night, I will do whatever it takes to hear Richard's wit
2: and wisdom, and that's why I've brought the yellow pages tonight because I'm going to read the phone book. You know what they always say, you know? I'd listen to that guy read the phone book. I would listen to you read All a phone Right? Book. They don't a- make phone books anymore. Triple that's the A. That's the problem. <laughs> Auto dealership. Uh, so
1: I'm very pleased to be joined for the hour by a veteran TV and radio talk show host who is now hosting the Richard Bay Talk podcast, which is available on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. The one and only Richard Bay, who remarked to me that when he was on uh, WABC in New York, he was obviously the audience then and now was very right-leaning, and Richard was the opposite of right-leaning. <laughs> you actually really enjoy mixing it up with Collins, oh, right?
2: really. The board op used to say, Richard, the board is completely lit up, and you just sat down, and every person disagrees with you. And I said, that's just the way I like it. Bring them on. I, but I, let me just tell you this. This was so wonderful. When I had a listed number, so the day that I was fired from W.I.B.C., I came home. The phone rang. Somebody, you don't know me, but I listen to you, and I'm a conservative, but you know what? You know, you always came up with facts, and you I always knew why you were saying the things that you said and what you were thinking about it rather than just calling somebody. And the phone lit up for almost two hours. I have a stack of emails, and the... And they all start off, or most of them start off. I never agree with you, but. Right, right. I never agree with you, but. Or I'm a conservative, but. <laughs> I enjoyed Dick and Dad Go to the Movies. <laughs> I enjoyed the parody song. You well, know, so.
1: I, I to me, when I make a decision about who to listen to on radio... The last thing that I would ever consider is their political ideology. I mean, yeah. that is – I would never go out of my way to listen to someone that I agreed with or disagreed with. I want to hear someone that is doing an informative show, an entertaining radio show. I don't care what the politics of that well, person I is.
2: Well, I always listened to Rush Limbaugh. Right. I mean, he was an, he was an entertainer. Yeah.
1: No, no, no doubt about it. I mean, and you compare someone like Rush – to someone, uh, you know, I know he's got fans out there, I don't want to disparage any of them, but someone like Hannity, yeah. who uh, really, he doesn't do a radio show. He basically <laughs> repeats r- right-wing talking points It's Rip day.
2: and read. Yeah, In that's fact, for sure. I haven't heard him lately, but it used to sound like he was just reading. He was a worst... Worse prompter reader reader than Al Sharpton, and that's (laughs) he's about the worst. Well, that's another good example. Is (laughs) Al Sharpton
1: not somebody that's actually a great communicator in terms of hosting a show? As great as he might be as a guest on the show, oh, goes to show you. Oh, when
2: he debates people, he's he's brilliant. And I used to have Sharpton on my TV show all the time, and we'd go back and forth and back and forth, and it was it was always a delight to have him on, even when the the Tawana Brawley thing. Was, was was total bs yeah
1: and uh, so people know your perspective and i want to talk about some things other than politics as well but just so people know your perspective you you're not uh, as somebody that i would consider uh a uh knee-jerk liberal democrat i mean you've talked about voting for bob dole ross perot rick lazio that was in ralph the past. nader it's changed the so Repu- it's changed so the, what what changed the republican
2: party changed that's what changed You know, I I guess I could still, you know, if I could find, I could, I. A friend of mine was saying, you know, if Liz Cheney ran for president, I'd vote for her. I don't know if I would because she's still a neocon, right? You know, and um, and that and that is a problem. But I admire Kinsinger, and I admire some of the other people who have stood up and said yes. I mean, people are saying, what's the most important issue? Is it immigration? Is it inflation? Is it the price of gasoline? Is it abortion? The, listen, there's, there's the big issue for me, and it's really just the only issue. The preservation of American democracy. And uh, I've lived through, I, listen, I, when I, I've, I've been alive for 18% uh, uh, interest rates. Uh ten percent under Reagan, inflation was uh, was over ten percent um, in in, in the first year. Right. Yeah, um, I've lived through the gasoline lines. Uh, people may not be old enough listening, but probably a lot of them are. When you used to have even or odd mm-hmm. license plate numbers to get a gallon of gasoline, right. Governor Christie brought that back ten years ago in the <laughs> aftermath of Sandy as well, well. So, so we're all you know. I survived all of the uh, all of those things. But if we lose American democracy, we're not going to get it back.
1: You know, it's so interesting to me when I talk to people about what they think the problems are. People that are really passionate and very intelligent people, so often they think the problem are the folks at the polar end of the political spectrum. Conservatives, for instance, when I talk to them – if you if you mention the three letters AOC, they will immediately right. start foaming at the mouth. And I, I posed an interesting question I thought on Facebook the other day, and I'd be curious about your answer to this: um, Alexandria Ocasio Cortez. For everything that's good about her, for everything that's not so great about her, if you were to pick the right wing AOC, the conservative counterpart to AOC, who would you pick? Who do you think it
2: is? For her strengths and her weaknesses. I. There is no one because she is, she's certainly f- very far to the left, but there is no comparison between her and Marjorie Taylor Greene, or uh, Lauren uh, Boebert. Boebert. Right. I always say those
1: were two of the people that uh, that uh, that folks suggested. Uh, so I think Matt Gaetz has even claimed to be the right wing yeah. AOC
2: at times, but you don't buy that. Well, uh, uh, no, no, but or the guy in Texas, well, Louis Gomer. Uh, Louis Gomer, you know, or the but guy in Arizona. Has, I don't what? know that he has the social media savvy of an AOC. No, no, no you're right, but but there are these people. Like, who's the guy in Arizona? That's the uh, you know the uh, the representative. That we looks like he has Parkinson's every time he comes out. I don't want to make fun of him, but you don't know who that is. I, 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 His own family turned against him, and they made ads against him. I can't remember his yeah, name you right know, now. I, I'll be honest. I, listen, there are – AOC is not crazy. Mm-hmm. There are crazy – speaking of which, Herschel Walker, who has been diagnosed and, and stated it himself, that he has been diagnosed with something called um, uh, disassociative personality disorder, which is what Sybil had. You know, He has more than one personality So maybe when he says, oh, yeah, I didn't pay for that abortion, that was my other personality that paid for Mm -hmm. the abortion. I mean, how could you put a candidate up who openly admits that they're mentally
1: ill? Well, I think that uh, a lot of the the report that Mitch McConnell's folks did on Herschel Walker – that was one of the things that they warned about, uh, you know, when there was reports of him holding a gun to his wife's head yeah. in one of these mental in the States. So I think that there was good reason that people had some caution about about Herschel Walker. Now, um, if you want to talk to Richard Bay, by the way, you want to take issue with anything that he's saying, oh, you're welcome sure. to give us call a call up and yell at 800- me. <laughs> well, you, or, or civilly disagree. <laughs> either one. 800 That's 800 You mentioned the issue of uh, Liz Cheney being a neocon. And this is one area where. If you were opposed to things like the Iraq War and intervention in Middle Eastern wars in general back in 2002, 2003, that was enough to get you fired from not only radio stations, but from cable news networks. Phil Donahue was too left-wing right. for MSNBC sure. because he was opposed to the Iraq War. Uh, that was Colonel ar- David Hackworth. Right. Around the same time he that... He was
2: persona non grata because he called Donald Rumsfeld a crazy man. Yeah,
1: this was around the same time that MSNBC was hiring folks like uh, like Michael Savage and getting rid of Phil Donahue, uh, these days the a lot of the I neocons know, know. seem to be on the same page
2: as Ukraine. Well, this as, is, this as is.
1: Biden and the Biden administration and mainstream Democrats on the issue of Ukraine. Now, uh, you were very vocally opposed to the Iraq War, and I'm
2: very vocally supportive. ...of aiding Ukraine, fight for its survival. So
1: in the case of Iraq, you had said publicly on the radio that uh, Saddam Hussein, there's not enough evidence that he has weapons of mass destruction. In fact, none of the evidence was any good. You've said that uh, he uh, has not attacked the United States, and this would be a dramatic escalation of where we are. Now... The United uh, – he had attacked his neighbor, Kuwait, had invaded a neighboring country. And we
2: threw him out. And right. I was supportive of that.
1: Right. So um, the United States, as it stands now, has committed an additional $625 million to Ukraine, bringing the total aid provided right, billions. close to $17 billion so yeah, far. That is – uh, for a country that's not a NATO ally, that's an amount of funding that's comparable to what we spent in the Vietnam War. How does it make you feel as a guy that opposed all these neocons, one of the few voices um, to uh, oppose what all, the rush to war back in 2002 and 2003, to be on the same page as all those
2: neocons today? Well, the Iraq War was based on BS, and it was based on a, um, a political philosophy. The idea of inv- the only idea that made sense about uh, invading Iraq and replacing Sodom was this neocon fantasy that we 're going to play uh, that we 're going to create a Disneyland on the Euphrates. This is a major country um, that 's in the center of the Middle East, and if we can install a democracy there. It will spread throughout the... It'll be like a Johnny Appleseed of democracy. It'll spread everywhere because this is a, an important country and it's a strategic location. And uh, we can do this and it'll be fairly easy. Of course, it was, you know, none of those mm-hmm. things. And uh, there was no spread of democracy uh, after that. And that was the fatal flaw there. It was sort of the same thing we had a fatal flaw in Vietnam. We thought we could go in there and... Uh, and, and create a democratic state. The difference is Ukraine is a democratic state under attack by an autocratic state. Well, it's a democratic state that bans opposition parties and suspends media outlets. That's not a d- democratic state. Right, and so, also. But, but Ukraine is doing those imprisons, things. Imprisons. Well, what. No, they're not really. They, they have
1: absolutely suspended opposition political parties. Oh, and suspe- now? You mean yeah, now? Yeah. Oh, the yeah.
2: They're in war. Well, so they're it's okay in war time. Su- suspend
1: Suspended democracy they, as long as it's wartime.
2: They had, well, um, Lincoln did some of those things as well. Well, there's a lot
1: of people that take issue with uh, the, when, some of the things Lincoln did. I know. But when, but when you're tank. fighting
2: for your survival, Ukraine was a democracy when... Until uh, the war started. When Putin went on the attack. That's okay. right.
1: Now, um, the difference in aiding a country and being squarely on the side of the Ukrainians, which was formerly a democracy, in, in a war with a country like Russia, is that Russia has the second largest stockpile of nuclear it's, weapons no, in the world.
2: No, that's incorrect.
1: Right. It's not. They don't have the second largest they stockpile. They have the largest. The largest stockpile. Okay. <laughs> so um, It's larger than it, the
2: United States. So,
1: now, how, what is, if you were in charge of u.s foreign policy at this point and i think we all begin from the place left wing right wing in between of not wanting nuclear war nobody wins there what would be the richard bay plan for avoiding nuclear catastrophe given everything that's happened so far what would you do
2: i would do just what we're doing i would i would back up ukraine i would help them to fight for their territory, I think Crimea is is gone, you know. Russia will maintain, you know. Uh, people say there is no um, a, a diplomatic uh, solution or that, you know, that anybody is pursuing. But the Ukrainians did meet with a Russian delegation uh, right before the war and in the beginnings of the war. They were in Turkey. At one point, they were in Belarus. They created a plan, and they said, we'll take 15 years— uh, to discuss what happens with Ukraine, but in no sense will military force be used. Um, I forget all the other details, but they did, you know, r- according to the guy that, le- uh, that led the Ukrainian delegation, Russia just kept saying you have to completely demilitarize and you have to get rid of the Nazis in, in your government. And he said, "I don't even know what they're talking about with the Nazis in our government."
1: Well, I mean, the Azov Battalion is yeah, a little a, Nazi-ish,
2: right? Yeah, yeah. But that's a battalion; it's not in the government. It's soldiers. We have we have Nazis in our military. The, well, I, I don't we know. We do. That, I don't know that we have oh, no, a level I of know.
1: coordination with the the Pentagon and Joe Biden with Nazis in our own military the way that Zelensky has with the Azov Battalion.
2: They're there. First of all, the Azov Battalion, it's, it's over. It's gone. They were, you know, it was destroyed right. uh, or or captured. Actually, they were just released by Russia uh, in a prisoner exchange.
1: Uh, my last question on Ukraine, and then if people want to talk to Richard, I, Gray, I don't want they to can. talk about no, Ukraine. I. four eight nine talk about Biden
2: and uh, and uh, well, but ultimately, ultimately
1: avoiding nuclear war is a lot more important than one political right. race or another. So what are we going to do? But, but let me l- well, ask, well, let me ask yes. you this.
2: Sure. So if that's your philosophy, and everything has to do with oh, let's avoid nuclear war. Um, should we just start negotiations with China uh, to turn over – to have Taiwan become a part of China as they did in Hong Kong? Is that part of your well, we political are, philosophy I, I, as I
3: well? Maybe. Maybe.
2: Uh, right. Maybe. Uh, well, I don't, I, I, you know, there's one very important lesson
1: that we've learned since the 40s, which is that if you're a country, whether it's North Korea, whether it's Russia or any other country – if you have nuclear weapons, the United States doesn't mess with you. Um, you see what North happens. North Korea, right? Exactly. You, I, but, but you see the... what happens with a country like Ukraine, which gave up their nuclear weapons. They get chewed to death. So, I mean, that
2: uh, that I and think... on the other hand, there was a six-nation plan in place uh, that would keep Iran from having nuclear uh, um, weapons for at least ten years. And uh, Trump just threw it out the window, right? Well, uh, I don't so, think that was right either. All right. Um, oh. So let me just ask. Uh, oh, let you my, don't. Of no. course not. No. <laughs> last
1: question on Ukraine. One of the other things that Trump did, which I thought was just terrible, was participating in the assassination of a foreign official, General Soleimani, with the in the Iranians, the Iranian Revolutionary Guard. Now, the New York Times says that the United States intelligence agencies believe Determined that the Ukraine them, yeah. government, which the U.S. is massively funding, more than we funded almost any government in the last they 50 years. They were involved
2: years. in blowing up the right. daughter of...
1: Armed, trained, and conducted joint military operations we're doing with them. They committed, the Ukrainians, a major assassination attack deep inside Russia. And we
2: had nothing to do with right, it, though, the United states Right, but you'll repudiate
1: that kind of conduct by the Ukrainians, I, right? Or I, is that another I don't think it's we helpful, give them a but I, because it's a war. Well,
2: I I don't think after the atrocities that we've seen uh discovered across U- in Ukraine and in the recovered villages that they've gone into, um it's not like I'm gonna I, I don't think it's helpful, but I'm if I had any tears for this Poor young woman. They weren't trying to assassinate her. They were trying to get her father. Understood, right. But I don't think it was a helpful thing to do.
1: All right. No. Um, the other controversial issue that a lot of people are very fired up about, and uh, I'm looking forward to hearing you differ from some of the callers on this front, is how to handle the migrant situation. A lot of folks, uh, particularly right of center, they look at Governor Abbott, Governor DeSantis, sending these migrants to blue cities like D.C., Chicago, New York, Martha's Vineyard, and they clap. They say, you see, this is what happens when you vote the way that you do. Explain to folks why, what they're doing, meaning the governors, well, DeSantis DeSantis and Abbott.
2: Well, what DeSantis was illegal.
1: Well, ex- well, let's start with Abbott, right? Why is that a flawed philosophy, shipping these migrants to places like Chicago, New York, Philadelphia?
2: Um it's a stunt it doesn't solve the immigration problem what we need is a congress that can work where democrats and republicans by the way you know, you heard that DACA was uh, was just uh, found uh, was thrown out I by did, the yes. supreme court today okay but what we do need is a congress that that works together to create a real um a, a, a real stability mm. uh, to immigration to america and we, we had that uh, with George Bush, actually, and we had bipartisan support in Congress. And what happened was Sean Hannity and Rush Limbaugh got on the radio and said,
0: folks, we've got to stop this. They're,
2: we're going to be flooded here. We could have had a plan, um, what is it, 20 years ago, not 20, but 15 years ago with George right. Bush.
1: Uh, two, uh, we have to ago.
2: have some kind of stable Structure Now, what people don't understand is that we turn back 100,000 people um, every uh, – what is it, 10,000? Uh, yeah, 100,000 people every month. Since Joe Biden has been president, we have turned back 2 million people across the border. Now, when somebody comes and asks for asylum, uh, I mean, it, you know, when they have a – if they're coming from Venezuela or Cuba – and that's another thing with DeSantis is that they don't want to say, oh, uh, we can't take the Cubans. Why? Because the Cubans vote Republican. Mm-hmm. Um, but the Venezuelans and the Nicaraguans who are also fleeing oppressive communist regimes, those people we can use as pawns and um, illegally send them uh, you know, from Texas using Florida taxpayer uh, money. Actually, they used the... Uh, the um, the uh, COVID relief pl- plan money that they got. They used, oh, how slick. They used the interest on that money so that they didn't actually use the money. Can't say there. they're not creative, yeah, right? I mean, and, yeah, and then he spent a uh, million oh, and a half dollars that, that, that could have been better put towards the, wait, there's two, what I read is there's 250,000 people homeless now uh, after uh, Hurricane Ian, on the west coast of Florida. Uh, Why don't we send those people to Mar-a-Lago? There's a lot of rooms there. And, uh, you know, they're saying they sent these people to Martha's Vineyard um, because Obama has a house there. This was out of season. And not only that, the people of Martha's Vineyard... Opened up their hearts and support and comfort and compassion to these people when they got there, and they were lied to to get on the plane.
1: But you you would agree, maybe the red states and the blue states. Obviously, this is a stunt, but the red states and the blue states should share the the burden of this a little more. I would agree with that. Uh, Last question before we go to break. You spent a lot of time broadcasting in Philadelphia. Some people believe the best indication of an of a forthcoming recession is an inverted yield curve, but historians are saying the best indication of a forthcoming economic crisis (laughs) is the Philadelphia Phillies winning the World Series. (laughs) So over the past 100 years, listen to this, the surest sign of an economic downturn has been a Philly-based baseball team winning the World Series. It happened in 1929, 1930, 1980, and 2008. Well, on Monday, the Phillies clinched a playoff spot, and uh, I'm wondering if people are concerned about their 401K. Should everybody be rooting against the Phillies? I right know,
2: now. it's like Puxatani Phil. You exactly. Know? <laughs> and that's in Pennsylvania, too. It's a very special place.
1: All right, we're going to continue with Richard Bay in a minute. We're going to take your calls. Uh, we're going to get into some uh, more fun subjects as well. 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead.
0: The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Marano. Other side of midnight with Frank Morano. Morano What's the buzz? Tell me what's happening.
4: What's the buzz? Tell me what's happening. What's the buzz? Tell me what's happening. What's the buzz? Tell me what's happening. What's the buzz? Tell me. What's In addition to being uh, one of the great
1: songs from uh, Jesus Christ Superstar, this was the theme to The Buzz with Steve Malzberg and Richard Bay, which was a hit show on WABC for a long time. And I want to thank the listener that points out that the crazy person that you were trying to think of from Arizona... Is uh, Paul Gosar. Gosar. As soon as so, he just said that, I can Yeah, can't yeah Paul Gosar. Uh, Richard Bay is here. We're going to take your calls in a moment. 800-848-9222. Richard, let me ask you about something that it seems like, according to opinion polls, the whole country agrees with. I might be in the minority, and that is the... Um, Chris Cuomo show. Well, I'm going to ask you about that, too. <laughs> but it's the the age of the people that are seeking public office these days. Congressman Max Rose, who's running for Congress again this year, he lost two years ago. I we, give him money. He worked in the Biden administration. Right. He, were, he was on Fox 5 this week, and he was talking about who should not be running for president in 2024.
5: Plain and simple, and I've said this before, I'll say this again. Uh, I do not think that Donald Trump should run in 2024. I do not think that Joe Biden should run in 2024. I'm sick and tired of that generation being in power. We've got to move on. We have to turn the page, not just on this politics of ineffectiveness, but also this po- politics of division and vitriol. It's time to move on as a nation.
2: You think Max Rose has a point? Is it time for that generation to get out of power? I don't I don't think it's so much generational, but the, the young people are coming up, you know. But uh, I do agree with him that Biden shouldn't be running again. I, you know, whether Trump runs again Actually, I'd like Trump to run again because I think he's, <laughs> he's, he's going to get his I butt whooped this time. I think DeSantis is far a far more dangerous character. Oh, no.
1: 800-848-9222. We'll get to as many calls as we can. We're going to go to people in the order which they've been holding. Charlie is in Hell's Kitchen. Hello,
6: Charlie. Thank you, Frank, for taking my call. I wanted to point out to you and to Mr. Bay the consequence that it attaches to public policy and to voting for a specific person. I assume Mr. Bay voted for Joe Biden because he didn't like Donald Trump and he supported Biden. Uh, I guess that's true. But if the consequence that flowed from that is that we have inflation, we have higher gas prices, higher food prices, we had supply chain shortages, we have the humiliating pullout and withdrawal of Afghanistan in which 13 servicemen and servicewomen were killed. And all of these things... Are things that have resulted from people not liking Trump and voting for Joe Biden? Actually, I, mean, I would disagree
2: you, with you. I would say none of those things are a result of voting for Joe Biden. Not one of them. Not one of them. Inflation is a worldwide problem, and in fact, uh, this week the entire eurozone is is over ten percent. Their inflation is much higher than ours, and they didn't vote for Joe Biden. Uh, The uh, pullout from Afghanistan was something that was negotiated uh, by Donald Trump with the Taliban a year before Biden became president. Uh, What else? Gas prices. OPEC today is saying they're cutting back on the production of oil, uh, which will also uh, bring gas prices up a a bit again. Joe Biden. Did what he could, but he does, he's, not, uh, he's not the sheik controlling o- OPEC.
1: Well, Charlie, thank you. Uh, on, the, on the oil front, uh, so President Biden has tried to convince the Saudis by using diplomacy. Now he seems to be taking a much harder line, right, uh, with the Saudis. And uh, he's sending a clear signal to them that he's willing to, you know, play hardball. And uh, that's something that both people on the right and the left have, have said maybe is about time. But now the president is at odds with big oil companies in this country, and he's at odds with some big oil countries like Saudi Arabia. He's been
2: pleading with big oil countries to increase production. And uh, at this point next year, we will, we will exceed oil production in this country what it was in the year before COVID. We are producing – New York, uh, the United States – Like, were you talking to me? Yeah, I just said this in the last segment. The United States is the largest oil producer in the world. So larger than Saudi Arabia, which is number two, or Russia, which is number three.
1: Whenever I bring up the issue of energy prices on the radio, there's always a chorus of folks that say two things. That the solution to lower energy prices is... Uh, President Biden shouldn't have pulled the plug on the Keystone XL pipeline. That and would two, have nothing to do well, with the, price uh, and, and oil. the other the other thing, and I want you to respond to both, the other thing is that there need to be more drilling permits approved on federal land. Explain why those two rejoinders to Biden's energy policy are fallacious.
2: Well, the, first of all, the Keystone pipeline would not have increased uh, oil production. It's a transportation system. It's not, it's not creating more oil. It's just delivering more oil. Um, and there is a Keystone Pipeline already. This was just sort of a, um, I don't, an adjunct to it, and that oil would have been shipped overseas from uh, – it wouldn't come to the United States. I mean, we, 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 we have oil in this country, and I, I think we do have to – oil has to be one of the uh, bridge sources of energy, um, you know, till we can achieve the technological level where we can have uh, – um, uh, energy renewable that's more, yeah renewable right. and i also think that uh nuclear has to be part of this mix really and yeah, yeah. Okay, you didn't no, know
1: that no i i didn't oh well, i in i 70
2: percent you... of their electricity is produced by nuclear in fact they produce so much uh energy that they uh, that they sell it to germany which made the ridiculous mistake of shutting down all their nuclear pan plants um, and uh, now they're p- paying the consequence of that as uh, Russia is uh, cutting off the uh, Nord. Uh uh, Nord, Stream. Nord Stream pipeline.
1: <laughs> one of the things that... I'm uh, sorry.
2: You know, this is late for me. I, this is me, morning me, I'm
1: just getting started. <laughs> you should see me when I have I to get... I couldn't think
6: of Paul Gosar, <laughs> uh, you know.
1: Me, uh, you could see, see me when I get a call at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. <laughs> I have no idea what's going on. Hey, uh, one of the things that uh, I don't know that a lot of people know about you is that you actually attended the Yale School of Drama. And it's very interesting. I... And you're a terrific actor, and I've seen you perform theatrically, and, and you're terrific, and people have the opportunity to see you perform theatrically. They absolutely should. But I thought about you recently because one of your old classmates, Sigourney Weaver, was actually profiled on CBS Sunday Morning, and she said a little bit about the Yale School of Drama, and I want to play you what she said and want to hear if oh, you Oh, she agree had a terrible this. time. Well, so this is what she said.
7: My father thought it was good to go to drama school. That would probably shake this goal right out of me, and it almost did. Weaver attended the Yale School of Drama. I didn't really belong there, I wish I'd gone to, like, Second City or something. She felt like a fish out of water, and the faculty seemed to agree. They were not supportive. Explicitly so. Yeah. I have to say, they could not have been meaner. Uh, (laughs) And the irony was that they were fired when I graduated. So the lesson to me is, don't believe what your teachers tell you. I've never heard you say anything negative about I her time there. had a good experience. There. You had a better experience than she Meryl did. Meryl
2: Streep, believe it or not, was put on probation after her first year. It's a three-year MFA program. And everybody knew that Sigourney, Sigourney was, well, she's six feet tall. She's one of the sweetest people you ever want to meet. She's, she's really unaffected, uh, even though she came from an esteemed uh, television family mm-hmm. and even though she came from... A a degree of wealth, and even though her real name is Susan, her first name, um, she is just a sweetheart. She's a wonderful person. Why do you think she had such a tough time? Because she didn't use her beauty. That was their major complaint. She would dress up like a hippie or something. You know, she'd wear a pea coat and a pair of jeans and they kept say, saying to her, you're a beautiful woman. You know, you want to be a success on the stage. Use your beauty. And she never wanted to, mm. to, to do that sort of thing. Uh, 800-848-9222.
1: Uh, let me say hello to uh, David in the Bronx. David, you're on with
5: Richard, Bray, Richard Bay. Hey, good morning. Gentlemen. Good morning. Um, I would like to make a comment about Ukraine. I generally disagree with Frank on Ukraine. I think his positions are far too pro-Russian. But I think we need to cut back on the unlimited financial aid and military assistance we're giving the Ukrainians, because they have an unreasonable position regarding the territory that Russia has seized uh, previously and currently. Zelensky keeps talking about getting back every inch of Ukrainian territory, including Crimea. I would agree with you about
2: Crimea. Crimea is gone. It's not going to happen.
5: What about the the four territories that they held the votes in that Russia now said? The Donbass.
2: Oh, those were were great fair elections, weren't
5: they? I'm sure. No, no, but the point is – well, wait, wait. But listen, listen. The reason – I'm saying this is, and again, I don't think Russia should be allowed to have an inch of Ukraine. I have family by marriage from Ukraine. But what I'm concerned about is the possibility of nuclear warfare. Frank played a clip of General Petraeus, who one assumes still has contacts in the government, saying that if Russia used the tactical nuclear weapon, that we and NATO should bomb the Russian troops in Ukraine, sink all their ships in the Black Sea, What do people like General Petraeus think is going to happen if we do that? Russia is going to respond with nuclear weapons against us and NATO. Let me let Richard respond, Dave. First of all,
2: General Petraeus is no longer in command of anything but his own opinion. Um, So, you know, there is that. And during – preceding uh, the bombing of Pearl Harbor, we were in negotiations with the Japanese actually to – Uh, you know, to allow them to have some degree of oil imports. And we asked them to withdraw from China and um, other areas uh, in in the Eastern uh, Asia that they had invaded. And we were in negotiations with them. They, you know, they didn't want to withdraw either. And we insisted that they withdraw. And when they didn't, well... We ended up in a war. If people just tuning in, we're talking with Richard Bay, veteran TV and radio talk show
1: host. You can now catch him on the Richard Bay Talk podcast, which is terrific. And uh, I subscribe. You can subscribe on the YouTube or wherever podcasts are available.
2: Well, wait a second. Should we have said to the Japanese, "Hey, take China," you know, "take Korea," you know, "take Thailand"? Have your take Burma. Have your sphere of influence. That's where you are. Why you deserve to have it, and then there would not have been a Pearl Harbor, and we could have saved the lives of uh, 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 tens of millions of people. Well, I think there is a lot of you know. I don't really want to relitigate the foreign policy no, but of, I'm of just 1941. Saying there comes a point in time when you want if if Russia wants to rejoin um, the uh, society of peaceful nations around the world, if they want the sanctions to be dropped, there are conditions. I uh, I'm
1: not going to sit here and uh, act like Vladimir Putin is uh, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> is some sort of modern day Jeffersonian democrat 800-848-9222 I do want to ask you you've had so much experience in uh, in television journalism as well and you But won- you were
2: asking about theater with Sigourney how did we get back to you Well Greg? because uh, well, okay. the caller brought it up All the right. caller
1: brought it up they, believe me they, people have a lot of issues to bring up with Um, You also, at different times, would feature different uh, fringe characters on your show. On your podcast, the most recent edition of your podcast, you played a clip. And this is one of the things I love about your podcast is you not only give a lot of commentary about current affairs, but you kind of do a throwback Thursday-style clip (laughs) of you interviewing someone from 30 years ago. Could be Sammy Davis, could be Steven Spielberg. You actually featured a portion of an interview you did with some Nazi skinheads recently.
0: What do you mean you're not anti-black? Well, we are not out to oppress any other race by believing in white power. We believe in positive racism. There are two kinds of racism. Po- okay. There's positive and there's negative. Negative is out of stupidity and hate. We don't hate anybody. We are out there to promote our own, just as the many organizations are out there to promote the other races. The um, NAACP and um, organizations ad infinitum out there to promote the uh, prosperity of the black race. Okay, do you go out and bash blacks? We do not go out and bash anybody. If there's any violence that comes to us, and then we take care of that, okay? <laughs> my question is this, what? right? Um, and he has a swastika sure. tattoo. no, no, no.
1: Uh, so my question is always this, and I get requests, as you can imagine, being on late at night, from a lot of fringe characters to try to be guests on this show. And there's a lot of callers that have a lot of fringe views, some based in hate. And I'm always a little conflicted about whether the best thing to do is shine a light on these folks and let folks hear the crazy things that people like that are saying, or is it not to give folks like that a platform? I'm curious, how
2: do you choose
1: to balance, or how did you choose to balance that? Uh, that, well,
2: this was actually right after the time Geraldo had his nose. I remember that. By the, yeah, uh, by the Nazis. I mean, uh, I you know, it's the same thing with like uh, Facebook banning Donald Trump. You know, I mean, you have people on. I, I think where you draw the line is when you have somebody who's actively uh, endorsing or inciting the use of of violence, and that's where you draw the line. But I, I've interviewed. The grand Kligels of the Ku Klux Klan. I've interviewed David Duke. I interviewed Pat Buchanan. I well, <laughs> I wouldn't put Pat in the category of David Duke when or the Grand Well, you well, I interviewed Klan. Pat Buchanan. One of the, my questions to him was that you have, uh, you have called homosexuality, um, an unnatural, dirty, and sinful act, and. Um, He used some other word that was really um, derogatory. And he said, all the great religions say it is wrong. Who are you to say that it's right? That's what his response. I said, I don't say that it's wrong or right. I'm just saying I don't want somebody coming into my bedroom and telling me you're doing it the wrong way. You can't do that position.
1: You know, I have always felt, whether we're talking about uh, Pat Buchanan, Bob Grant, Al Sharpton, or anybody – that it's a little unfair to take 60 years of them saying something throughout the course of their career when they talk and write every single day for 60 yeah. years and pick the worst things that they've ever said right. and have that define them. But we, we could save uh, but that, that discussion was something for another day. I mean, I'm sure he still believes that.
2: Yeah. Um, there, I, you, you don't think there are people who think homosexual? I, no, I hear from them. I hear right. from them.
1: And I always wonder, is the best thing to do to put them on the air so folks can hear – That there are still people
2: that think that or is it to not give people like that a platform? Well, I think that there are, uh, uh, you know, some religions that have sexual practices that I would uh, or or marital practices that I would find very strange myself. But I don't want to stop them from doing – listen, in the state of Texas, you know, your your great state of Texas – the uh, you know the texas rangers raided the mormons because mm-hmm. you had 60 year old men marrying uh, uh, 14-year-old girls. Right. No, and uh, it, it, certainly if you there's
1: a lot of religion to look at. If you look at the Prophet Muhammad's favorite wife, you don't yeah, even there, want to get well, into what her age you, but was. But that
2: was... This, I'm talking about now. Right, <laughs> right.
1: Um, you mentioned Chris Cuomo before. We're both fans... Yeah, who's going to watch? Come on.
2: Well, I watched the second episode. I thought it was... Out of curiosity. Yeah, yeah. And, and um, um, my senior producer from the Richard Bay Show is... Producing Chris Cuomo, really? I have a number
1: yeah. of questions for for him or for her. Um, but you, we're both fans of the film uh, A Face in the Crowd, and there's a great scene in that picture where Walter Matthau's character says to Andy Griffith's character, Lonesome Rhodes, he basically says, "You'll you'll get another opportunity, but you'll never be as big as you were." And we've seen that manifest itself with a lot of people, including me, over the years. <laughs> right? Um, how do you handicap the prospects of a Chris Cuomo comeback?
2: Well. Not there. Not not in that – not on that – News ur, nation. Or that – whatever it is, you know. And then – I mean, this, nobody's going to sit at home and go, I know people who rushed MSNBC every a Monday night because they know Rachel Maddow is on a Monday. And then when the other newscaster takes over, nobody's watching it. Right. So no and, one's doing that for Christmas? Yeah, and people are doing that for uh, Tucker Carlson on right. the other side. I mean – you know, you, nobody's going to do that for Chris Cuomo. Nobody's going to do that for Ashley Banfield. What they should have, you know, you know, they have their own agenda. But if you wanted to start something new, what you should do is get Joe Rogan. Uh, you should get Howard Stern or maybe even use the video of his, uh, of his serious radio show. If you can get the rights to it and run that at night. Uh, there's a guy named Paul Barsky who's very funny uh, but also politically astute and – you know, put something on that's going to be different. You know, what's so different? So it's Chris Cuomo? What? He had so so many... F- Listen, I watched Chris Cuomo. I like Chris Cuomo. But I'm not going to... I'm not going to go out of my way to watch Chris Cuomo. Um,
1: before we go to break, and then I'm going to continue with the phone calls, 800 848 I know you saw some shows while you were in town. You've always been uh, Johnny on the spot when it comes to film recommendations, theater, and and books.
2: Give us one of each. All right. Well, the, the one thing I wanted to see. Actually, there were two things, and one of them is an impossible ticket. But the one play I knew I wanted to see and I was hoping I could see, and it was on half price at TKTS is Leopoldstadt by uh, uh, Tom Stoppard, and it's about a Jewish family. It begins in 1899. It's got a cast of 38. I can't do it justice by describing the plot to you. Uh, The thing I can tell you is this. When it was over and we all in the audience stood up to applaud, I collapsed into tears for almost two minutes. I was crying. The woman in front of me reached out, and grabbed my arm in support and passed me a tissue. Is,
1: is, is it a musical?
2: No. No, oh, no, no. Well, there no. are very emotional musicals. As well. Oh, but this this thing is heart-wrenching, heart-wrenching and so well done and so entertainment. It's two hours and ten minutes without an intermission. And you know how sometimes you see a play and you're going, oh, where am I – where should I go for dinner after this? Uh, right, your mind uh, wanders. Do I have to pick up anything at the. CVS is around the corner. I didn't have one wow. second where I wasn't riveted by this play. The acting is marvelous, the script is just uh, completely engrossing.
1: So it's uh, Leopold Stott, and it's on Broadway now. It's and you can Broadway get half price tickets, I guess, on TKT. Yeah, well, the you good.
2: I mean, I don't know if you. The reviews have been very good. I, Except for the Times. anything in the way of film reviews these days. You used to do these great film uh, reviews on the radio with your dad, Dick, and yeah, Dad go to the movies. And I still do go to the movies. Uh, I went to see that, and Don't Worry, Darling, which got terrible reviews. I didn't think it was as bad as uh, you know as the reviews were. It was, it was an
1: expectations, game, yeah, right?
2: yeah, yeah. It was entertaining, and uh, also of uh, uh, Florence Pugh who plays uh, the leading role in it with Harry Styles, the heartthrob but she is so she's she so beautiful i can if they just were the seeing ca- it just for that if, if they just, they just put the camera on her face uh, i would watch it all right
1: we're going to continue with richard bay in a 2nd 800 848 this is the other side of midnight straight ahead
0: the other side of midnight. 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 midnight it's the other side of midnight with frank morano
2: Richard Bay is here. Oh, Frank Marano ripping off my bumpers from right. my old show. I, I, I steal
1: so much I from you. I used to
2: love this. I
1: steal so much from you. This is how you would end uh, a lot of your shows. And uh, this, we're almost at the end of the hour, but I want to give oh, people an opportunity. To, oh. Oh, you can stick around. You can well, stick around for the well, whole show. Well, uh, I can? You can absolutely. <laughs> 800- you have 800- other guests. Well, so you'll take a break. You can pause. You can pause. Hey, um, I, do, I did want to ask you, you living in Florida these days. I, your area of Florida was... Yeah,
2: we had the winds, so we had the fronds from the palm trees. Everything fall. was okay with your house and everything? Yeah, there. yeah, 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 it was fine. All right, good. All
1: right, 800-848-9222. Stuart is in Forest Hills. Hello, Stuart. Hey, Frank,
8: good to speak to you. Uh, Richard, this is Stuart, your Facebook debating buddy, uh, Ukraine today, yesterday. Oh, anyway, oh yeah. um, I have to say, you sound so much more intelligent speaking with frank morano i mean <laughs> I think I think you're more
1: intelligent than I thought um I, I just want to mention about your comment on, on talk about on a DeSantis. backhanded compliment. See, I, I pale in comparison to your intellect so much <laughs> I can make anybody sound intelligent.
8: But I, but, 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 Richard, I wanted to mention about your comment. You said DeSantis is more dangerous than Trump, and and from your point of view, I have to agree with you, and that is because DeSantis is very articulate, he's very strategic, and if you debate DeSantis, you're kind of forced to debate him on the issues. With Donald Trump, his personality is so out there that you don't got to debate him on the issues. You go after his personality, and you can make some sense. So I actually am a DeSantis supporter for 2024. I don't disagree um, with you.
2: Donald Trump is a bull in a China shop, and he got some things that he wanted to do accomplished. But he always he had uh, all the generals that McMaster and Kelly, they were always in there putting up guardrails with DeSantis. They, actually, DeSantis went to Harvard and Yale. Right. And Those are the, always the guys you got to look out for. <laughs> that's right. And the Ivy Leaguers. Hey, they, as well as uh, what's his name? Uh, um, Josh uh, Hawley. Hallie, yeah. That's right. And uh, the, the
1: Theodore Edward uh, Cruz or Rafael right, Edward right, Cruz. 800 Ray is in New Jersey. Hello, Ray.
9: Yeah, how you doing? Can you hear me all right? Yeah, yeah right. go yeah. ahead. What's on your mind? Okay, I just wanted to say, uh, when you were talking about the Afghanistan, I know Trump had that plan to pull out, but to say he was not responsible for those got killed because they had the Taliban running the outside security. The day before, even I knew something bad was going to happen. A two-year-old could have figured that out. So I, you're trying to make it like Biden's not responsible for anything. Well, a, well, it was
2: so, a terrorist. Yeah, well, was, what, a terrorist. was the withdrawal mishandled though? The withdrawal mishandled. I think, I think almost every withdrawal is mishandled. Whether it's at Dien Bien Phu, whether it's at, um, whether it's at Saigon, where we left. Every time a military has to uh, do, uh, perform a retreat under advancing uh, enemy forces, it's always a mess. Uh, Look it, at Dunkirk. No, no, that's for sure.
1: Uh, 800-848-9222. Billy's in Rockland County. Hello, Billy.
6: Yeah, Richard, you're a lying drama queen from Yale. You know, you're all <laughs> full of it. Okay? Well, thank you so. I do much. like you though. I will listen to you, but you're a lying drama queen, Well, I, okay? have,
2: I have an MFA the in fact drama. The matter is
9: Biden That's has curtailed a... supply. Yeah, he, he has he not supply. No, he hasn't. He go has look has up. No, go you look know up. You true Richard. No, no, no you he know, dir- know it. He gave
4: eighty-five no, billion in no, rise. We Richard. not reality, Richard. Oh, you really are a drama queen. People can't see it. Look up the figures. That's reality. Go look
2: up the figures. That That's is not reality, the reality. Hey, it's not math.
10: Smoking dope and it's not reality.
2: math. If you You're
10: look at the figures... Lying yeah, okay. queen. Thank you. Okay. Thanks, Billy. Thank you for Appreciate
1: the entertainment tonight. Appreciate everybody keeping it above board. Thank oh, no. you. Tom was- <laughs> is in Pennsylvania. Hello, Tom.
6: Hello. Yes, sir. Uh, you could stop uh, party opposition by cutting their money off, and there's no reason to give money to Ukraine I don't think, but, uh, you know, I was wondering... Well, we have so much of it here. We can spare it, right? Yeah, well, you know, it's all printed. You know, they just get out the photocopy machine and do that, you know, do that kind of thing. You know, it's not not out of the realm of possibility. All right, thank you, Tom. Uh, Very quickly,
1: Jimmy in Long Island, what's on your mind?
6: Hello,
8: good morning,
6: sirs.
10: I was wondering... uh, what is the <laughs> discrimination right now with um, the Kanye West's clothing line with White Lives Matter? Is that to stir up more trouble during this political um, season, or is it really something that – um sort of like um, all lives matter and response? Yeah,
9: you, know, to- you, know, you know, know, I'm not
1: up on this. I'm, I'm not, not up I on, on this either, but I do
2: this. think that Kanye West would be a good uh, replacement – Um, for Herschel Walker in Georgia at the last minute. Hey, I'm a third-party guy. (laughs) I I
1: think uh, that he might have some support. Alan Yonkers. Hello, Al.
9: Yeah, hi, Richard, Frank. Uh, You know, Richard, I remember your show, uh, you know, and it was a popular show. I used to watch it uh, when it
6: ran in the tri-state. I'm glad you're doing well in Florida. I heard you on Frank's show not too long ago. And uh, can you hear me? Yeah,
4: yeah, yeah no, we're only, we only got about 40 yeah, yeah, seconds you know, so left I, I do
6: rem- I'm glad you're doing well and uh, everything is good in, uh, in Florida. Uh, my question to you is, being a host like Frank, because uh, you touched on Max Rose, I-, I just never understood why a person
9: would go out there and waste so much energy and time uh, and really hit the pavement trying to win an election. Uh, all right, uh, you, which... you, you, you'd
1: minutes, right, you'd stick around a few minutes, right? You could yeah, yeah, stick around. You uh, stick around as, as long as you want. Know, all right, all right, right, we're right. going to have Richard answer your question after the top of uh, of the hour. Um, this is the other side of midnight. Richard Bay is here, and we'll see if he can make it till five. You know, yeah, uh, yeah, right. if not, you know, you have we'll other guests. Yeah, well, so you'll take a break. <laughs> this is the other side of midnight until next hour, as Richard Bay might say. Don't let the media matrix melt with your mind. This is the other side of midnight. Uh, we have conscripted Richard Bay into a couple more hours of uh, talk show service. We're going to no, get no, him to no, stick no, around no, as long a as couple he wants. More hours. Well, as long as you could take, all right? Richard Bay, a veteran TV and radio talk show host, he's now hosting the Richard Bay Talk Podcast. Uh, Let's take a look at some of the early reviews for your uh, first hour. Uh, This is uh, from Twitter. I turned it off. This is from a Twitter user. It's better. It's it's better. This is from a Twitter user named Jeff Strongman. Richard Bay was the worst guest you ever had, and I will no longer listen to your show. Uh, I rather listen to the Communist News on 880. All right. Uh, Rocco writes, Richard Bay, of course, misspelled, Good (laughs) night. So there you have it. uh, Look, if you're going to change the channel based on uh, hearing an opinion that you might not agree with, I mean... You really—that's such a uh, a sad way to be. Uh, from what I'm uh, from where I stand, eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. If you want to comment, take issue with anything Richard said. Uh, there was a, the caller before the uh, top of the hour, basically made mention of uh, the Max Rose race. Right. Basically, um, because of the district lines, the way the courts drew them. It looks like Max is going to have a very tough time uh, this this go round. And I think Al's question was basically, why, why bother if you're running in a oh, race? Is it why bother? I think, I think what, that was the question. I thought he meant, question. why do people run? Oh, maybe it was. Again, you know,
2: I think there are a lot of veterans. There are a lot of people. I mean, you know, I give to Spamberger and Slotkin, who uh, they worked for the CIA and. Uh, there are veterans who serve the country and the military, and they want to continue serving the country. Why do people become cops? I mean, you know, I don't think they, I don't think they all do it just for the great pension. Right. Oh, no, absolutely. Again, after 20 years, you want to serve. No no you doubt know. about it.
1: No doubt about it. 800-848-9222. Uh, before we um, – one of the issues that we've been covering is sort of the demise of local news sources, right? We've seen a lot of newspapers fold. We've seen a lot of these news deserts pop up around the country. You have uh, made a lot of your career in local media. Channel 9 in New York, people are talking, a lot of work in Philadelphia that you've done do you see any reason oh. to be hopeful about the future no. of local
2: journalism? No, 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 no. I mean, there used to be – I mean, Bill Boggs had Midday Live. You had my show. You had – does anybody watch local news really? Uh, anymore? Uh, well, Remember, uh, they used to be stars. I knew Sue Simmons mm. and uh, and uh, Jack Cafferty right. and uh, – Bill Butel. Bill Butel, Roger Grimsby. You know, these people were like a part of our lives – I don't, people don't feel that way about local newscasters. I, you know, anymore, I think the one they?
1: person that has sort of been able to carve out a little bit of a niche in that respect is Pat Kiernan from New York One. Uh-huh. Uh, but, you know, he, even though he's Canadian, he's really become such a big part of a lot of uh a lot of New Yorkers. Lives. He's even even portraying himself in a lot of films and stuff. Um, uh, we're going to talk. By the way, uh, speaking of uh, of politics, we're going to talk with Ryan Clancy in about uh, fifteen minutes. He is part of a group called No Labels, which is trying to run an independent presidential candidate. If they determine that the Republican and the Democrat that are running are too extreme or too divisive. They're going we're to try to put forward, forward a third-party <laughs> option. I don't know that age is part of their uh, criteria, but we'll ask them in just a bit. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Alan Yonkers is back. Al, very quickly, uh, I don't want to paraphrase your question. What were you asking about Max Rose?
9: No, I was just saying that, uh, you know, because you brought him up,
6: I won't go on. Uh, I just think he has a very difficult race ahead. He's running against a very popular incumbent. Well, I mean,
1: it's a function of the district lines. Under the under the gerrymandered yeah. lines, his opponent Nicole Malliotakis, she had a very difficult race. So uh, all of a sudden, yeah. she didn't become such a better candidate once the new lines came out, and he became no worse. It's just a function of the, he went from running in a heavily Democratic district to running in a heavily Republican district. That's that's basically and, it.
2: And Nicole had her share of detractors as well. Oh yeah, when she voted for the infrastructure, uh, infrastructure, and, and to
1: denounce uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene. To, right. uh, comments al thank you hey um I, I know you're a theater guy my favorite musical of all time is 1776 oh, and i love what music. are they
2: doing to this
1: well, so what is now, the purpose right. so, I, if people haven't followed this they're have re-releasing 1776 it's a revival with an all-female cast, with uh, uh, w- which features a lot of people of color and, trans- and a lot of transgender
2: folks. Now, but all women. Uh, yeah, what's what's your take on this? I don't get it. I mean, it's on half-price tickets. I thought, should I see this? And then I go, man, it could be excruciating. It's not. It may be your favorite musical. It's not a great musical. There's not. There's a couple of good songs in it, and it's. If you're an American history buff, it, it's probably fun. But my favorite musical is not my not only my favorite, but one of my favorite. Merrily We Roll Along, uh, which is playing at the New York Theater Workshop with uh, Daniel Radcliffe. Oh,
10: really?
2: And it's a Stephen Sondheim musical, but you just can't get it. But so your that. your
1: potential objection with 1776, it's not that they're it's, – it's, is it that it's too woke? I, I hate to even use that term, or is it that they're
2: no, – No, it's that the purpose seems to be woke. Uh uh-huh. I mean I don't think uh for instance Hamilton I thought that idea worked wonderfully uh because because Hamilton was an immigrant and because immigrants are a lifeblood of american uh you know uh, society and history and uh it it helped it helped you to observe the dynamics you know once you saw black and uh, asian and uh Hispanic people playing, and you realize you place them in the context, yes, they are all a part of this, you know. But I don't think the same thing works for uh, women in 1776. Neither do
1: I, especially because the original incarnation of 1776, it did have roles for two prominent female historical characters, Abigail Adams and Martha Jefferson. It didn't diminish yeah. their contributions at all. And uh, it, just seems, it just seems like uh, a, a weird thing to do. It's not something that I'm excited about. I don't see about. the
2: purpose behind I mean, I read the New York Times right. magazine article, but I still didn't get it. No, I don't
1: get it at all. 800-848-9222. Robert is in Manhattan. Hello, Robert.
10: Good morning, Mr. Bay. Hello. Uh, Before I get to my point quickly... In a world where Sony Corporation can reimagine Tarzan, uh, if you're a movie fan, I shudder to think what that's going to look like. (laughs) They they really are going to reimagine it. But uh, listen, I want to get to a point you made. Thank you for mentioning the fact that the Texas Rangers, I don't know if you're a student of Texas history. I'm a frontier student. Uh, I've taught frontier history on a graduate level, the Old West. You know, of course, that uh, the... um, uh, uh, Texas Republic, independent for ten years between 1836 and 45, and the state of Texas when it was annexed by the United States in the slavocracy, Manifest Destiny War we fought with Mexico, put bounty on Indian and Mexican scalps. You know that if you're yeah, a student oh, of Texas uh, yeah, history, and were, perhaps. Yeah. Yeah, perhaps when you uh, talk to the good governor Abbott, you might remind him of that part of Texas history.
2: Well, I don't think I would want to remind him. Are you insinuating are you insinuating that he should take the scalps of people crossing the Rio Grande?
10: I don't know, but I don't know, but I don't trust <laughs> it him. Sounds and like I love that. Texas. Listen, I love Texas because my doctoral dissertation was on factional frontier violence and one of the of one of the feuds I covered was the Shelby County War of the 1840s that uh-huh. nobody's ever heard Th- of.
1: Thank you, Robert. Richard, let me ask you. You moved to Florida from New York at a time before it was fashionable to do so. Now <laughs> everybody's moving. When I meet a New Yorker, um, it, the the thing that they seem most enthusiastic about is moving to Florida. I'm wondering, do uh, this is probably the first major storm. A lot of the recent New York transplants right. plants have well, experienced. People
2: feel sorry about. Well, it, are, are but... they
1: going to have movers remorse?
2: Do you think? I, well, not I just think, because I, of the weather. I but think other one things. of the things, you know, I, I mean, when you come to New York and you pick up the New York Post every day, like I was listening to Dominic before this. A homeless person punched this person, or this right. person's crime. It's crime every single day. You know what? The you think Florida? The thing, the difference is Florida. Is they're just shooting each other in Palm Beach County. One out of every nine people have a gun every day. I read the Palm Beach Post, and there's something. We had an Uber driver who had her throat slit oh by boy. a guy from in the back seat. We have people with road range shooting. Out, uh, you know, the windows of of the other car that cut them off. I mean, those are recent ones. You had the guy who was in the movie theater and was on his phone during the trailers. And the guy behind him had been a police chief. And he said, turn off your phone. And the guy took a handful of popcorn and threw it at him. So the guy, the police chief went down and blew him away. (laughs) Jeez. in front of his wife So what you're saying is Florida is not
1: exactly the Eden that a lot of New Yorkers think it might be.
2: Uh, no, no it it is not. I mean it you know for the most part the weather is pretty pleasant and if you can live by the beach as I do, you know that that's certainly a plus. Uh but there are so many things I miss about New York and even I come up every every other month I'm here for two weeks at the at least. And it's it's you know Florida is pleasant. New York is invigorating.
1: Mm, That's a great description, a great description. One of the things I've always admired about you as a broadcaster, one of the many things, is your real gift as an interviewer. And I'm getting to relive a lot of that now in some of these throwback clips that you play in the Richard Bay Talk podcast and it, you always manage, even if it's somebody that I've heard interviewed a hundred times, you manage to find a new angle, whether it's somebody that I've that's a household name like Steven Spielberg or somebody that, um, you know, is totally obscure. You always manage to find something different and interesting about them. What is kind of your secret? What's the secret sauce to the Richard Bay interview? What's the key? Well, you, first of
2: all, my, the questions... The questions should make the the uh, the guest think. We will see the process of them thinking after you ask the question, rather than you know. A lot of these people they're on. Um, what do they call those tours, the publicity right, tours? Right, right, like a
1: satellite yeah, tour. Yeah, you get you know. the
2: same, co- oh, what was it like working with Mel Gibson or what's your favorite movie that you made, you know? I, I hate those. They, <laughs> it,
1: it, they offered me uh, recently one of these tours, Jay Leno, for 10 minutes. I said, right. forget it. I, I'm not interested in talking to anybody for 10 minutes.
2: Well, you know, and a lot of these things, I mean, the things, some of the things that fascinated me is, you know, you know, how did you get here and why did you get here? And what created you? And, uh, you know, what were your, like when I had Steven Spielberg? I thought, I said, uh, you know, for so many of us, the, the big cinematic thrill is going to see a Steven Spielberg movie for the first time, you know, whether it was E.T. or Schindler's List or, you know, so many others. I said, but maybe you can't can you watch a Steven Spielberg movie and experience what we experience? And he said, no, he goes, I, I'm worried about the props when I'm watching the shot. I'm, I'm thinking about, you know, how we got the, you know, the, the, the bugs into the scene or whatever he said, but there is one movie. He says, I can watch Raiders of the lost Ark and be transported. And by the way, can you believe he didn't say this. I'm saying this. That Harrison Ford is going to play Indiana Jones at 80 years I, I old? I can believe it. Uh, you know, uh, some people, Arnold Schwarzenegger
1: can't give up Terminator. Stallone can't give up Rocky. And I guess Harrison Ford, for the right amount of money, can't give up Indiana Jones. Uh, we're going to talk with Ryan Clancy from No Labels in a bit. You want to stick around or are you no, going to go, go to sleep? Uh, I, I can't wait
2: for Indiana Jones and the Walker of Doom. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> if people want to see the Richard Bay Talk podcast, they can search it on YouTube or anywhere podcasts are available. Whatever your politics, it's a great discussion of uh, current events, also a great discussion of broadcasting and sort of all, all, and, all every aspect of I life. And I
2: apologize to you for... L- for having you lose all your listeners That's okay. in such a short period of time.
1: Well, it's hopefully there's at least one or two
0: that'll <laughs> stick around.
1: Uh, Richard Bay, thank you very much. It's always great oh, to see you,
0: my friend. It's great to see you. All
1: too. right. Well, Ryan Clancy from No Labels joins us straight ahead.
0: The other side of midnight with Frank Morano. It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano.
1: This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. If you followed this program for any length of time, whenever I talk about my own political journey, so much of that deals with being turned off by both major parties and uh, turned off by the polarization between the two parties. It seems like there are too many aspects where the big parties cooperate with one another to suppress voices of dissent, and it seems there's too many common sense issues in which the major parties just don't cooperate with one another, even though there's broad consensus on how to improve people's lives. And that's one of the reasons that I've been drawn, uh, at least for the last decade or so, to a group called No Labels. And that label, that title, is pretty much exactly what this group is about. They don't take a left-wing approach. They don't take a right-wing approach. They take a common-sense approach to improving government and to getting people to govern as govern as Americans, not Democrats, not as Republicans. But until now, they haven't necessarily seemed that eager to push for a third-party or independent option in any races, and yet now It's being reported that there is a petition being circulated in various states around the country to perhaps offer voters that don't want a left-wing choice or a right-wing choice a third Choice, So I thought we'd figure out what this is all about and uh, we are lucky enough to be joined in studio by Ryan Clancy. Ryan Clancy is an experienced veteran when it comes to speech writing, when it comes to communication strategy, and these days he's the chief strategist for No Labels. Ryan, it's great to meet you in person. Thanks for having me, Frank. Ryan, before we talk about what you're doing now, uh, this might be the first time that some people are hearing about No Labels Explain to folks what it is, what's the basis for it, how did it get started, what's it done over the last decade?
3: Sure. So No Labels has been around for over a decade now and um, started kind of right when the Tea Party wave was cresting. Some people remember that. Um, When we first kind of had this inkling that our politics was starting to get off kilter, and it was a very simple mission – Just to bring our parties together to solve big problems. Uh, And we've been at that for the better part of a decade, mostly through Congress, though, as you noted at at the top, we're maybe uh, pointing our ambitions a little higher if we need to. Let's talk about what's happened with Congress. Yeah. Uh, they have, you guys
1: have been the impetus for something called the Problem Solvers Caucus. Sure. I've known a lot of members, Democrat and Republican, that have been part of this caucus. Some people believe this is the only thing standing between Washington and total insanity, depending on which is in right. power. They're right. Other people have been a little disappointed at the uh, ability of the, uh, the Problem Solver yeah. ca- Caucus to actually solve problems. Explain to folks what the Problem Solver Caucus is, what that's all about.
3: So, the idea is really simple. We, about a decade ago, we looked up at the Hill, Capitol Hill, and asked, well, how is it that power actually gets exercised up here? And what we noticed is that the fringes were both very organized. So, the left wing people, they got this progressive caucus, and the Tea Party folks, they had this thing that became known as the Freedom Caucus. And that's really how they exert influence uh, they get organized, they kind of vote together, they work together. Nobody had organized anybody in between them. We came along, organized this group called the Problem Solvers, and eventually did something very similar in the Senate.
1: One of the things that uh, people like Ralph Nader have pointed out on this program is that there are a lot of areas where people on the far left find themselves in agreement with people on the far right. Uh, Sometimes it's with respect to civil liberties and warrantless wiretapping. Sometimes it's with with respect to trade issues like NAFTA. Other times it's uh, with respect to uh, foreign intervention in places like the Middle East. Where does No Labels that kind of charts a very centrist policy? path. Where do they come in when it comes to issues that far left and far right might agree upon?
3: So we haven't tended to put a stake in the ground around a particular policy outcome. What we try to do is get the process right and the politics right. So let me explain that. When we got together this problem solvers group, one of the things that just shocked me is that members in Congress have absolutely no relationships with anyone in the other party. So we'd get to talking to them and they'd say, hey, when you come into Congress and it's your first week, it's like orientation, there's a Republican bus, there's a Democratic bus, there's Republican events, there's Democratic events, and nobody ever builds a relationship. And then it all of a sudden the light goes on for you. How do you think these people who don't know each other, like each other, have no relationships or trust one another? You think that you're going to throw them in a room and say, All right, guys, now go fix immigration. That's never going to happen until they start to build relationships. So that's what we started to do early on. And the other thing we did is we got very active fundraising for members, particularly to help them out in their primaries, because that's often um, the toughest thing for a lot of these members is even though a vast majority of the public, they want leaders to work across the aisle to to solve problems in like eight out of 10 uh, house races, certainly most every race here in New York. It's the prime. The primary is the only election that really matters because well, r- districts are pretty red or pretty blue. Well, the, the, we actually have an unusual number of competitive
1: general elections this year because of the decision striking down these gerrymandering yeah. lines, which is, I know, a big issue with no labels. You talk about reforming the process. Gerrymandering is a big part of that. What have been the other sort of process improvement aspects
3: of the no labels agenda? Um, I mean, we we did some things. um really early on, um, just to kind of reform congressional rules and how they got different kind of legislation on the table, make it easier to get bipartisan ideas uh, put forward. But really, it was in these last two years, ironically, as dysfunctional as Washington has been, when you think about the achievements that have actually gotten done on a bipartisan basis that matter, and I'm thinking in particular like the bipartisan infrastructure bill that passed last year. The big semiconductor bill that passed earlier this year, there was the first gun safety bill in 30 years. And now um, Senators Joe Manchin and Susan Collins are working on this thing called the Electoral Count Act reform. Very obscure, but pretty important in that it tries to resolve some of this ambiguity that made January 6 possible in terms of the role of the vice president and Congress and how they count electoral votes. All of those um, solutions I just told you about, that's All our people, Uh, we've worked relentlessly to support them. Uh, Unfortunately, a lot of them, the people who voted for it, uh, particularly on the Republican side, have already lost primaries in no small part because they were willing to work with Democrats.
1: You know, that was... That's such a frustrating aspect of politics, and when Biden was running, when Beto O'Rourke was running for president, they would be criticized every time that they said something nice about a Republican. We saw what happened with uh, Chris Christie with his embrace of uh, President Obama, and he I mean, forget about the fact that he was trying to deal with a you know, once-in-a-generation, once-in-five-generation style hurricane, and that was uh, probably the best way to deal with it. The fact that these guys got attacked, not from the other side, but from the their own side, yeah. not for anything substantive, but for something so superficial as being willing to be friends with someone from the other party. It really makes you realize how dysfunctional our, our parties are. You alluded to the fact that um, fundraising is important for members of Congress who are willing to work across the uh, the, other, the other side of the aisle. Uh, leads me to my next question about no labels. There's going to be a lot of Democrats and a lot of Republicans that are skeptical of no labels in general, and especially what you guys are doing now. Yep. No labels has a great website. I've been a, a donor to no labels over the years. I think I still give $5 a month or whatever it is. What, um, Where does the bulk of the no labels funding come from there's yeah. some very seasoned professionals like you sure. great website great email list where does the bulk of the money come from
3: it's all individuals from across the country um, almost none of the funding is corporate we're not a special interest group if you you know think you're going to come to No labels and um, kind of get special interest benefits for being a part of it you're not um, the people that are here that are a part of it that fund it it's for one reason and one reason only Um, And that's to, you know, put the interests of the country first. Some of the
1: boldface names that have embraced No Labels publicly, uh, some really interesting folks left, right and center. Who are some of the folks that our listeners might be familiar with that are part of No Labels?
3: Well, when we say part of No Labels, there's a crucial distinction, which is No Labels is we're a nonprofit group. Um, Then we have congressional allies who we work very closely with. And but, you know, we're separate entities. The members of Congress you'd be most familiar with would be senators like Joe Manchin, Susan Collins, Todd Young, Bill Cassidy Uh, in the House. uh, The co-chairs of the caucus, uh, the Problem Solvers Caucus, are actually Josh Gottheimer, who um, is from the 5th District in New Jersey, Mm -hmm. right across the river here, very close to the city. And a guy named Brian Fitzpatrick on the Republican side uh, is the Republican co-chair.
1: And I know uh, past members of the Senate, past members of Congress like Joe Lieberman, Evan Bayh, uh, they've been they have been very involved. So, yeah, right?
3: our, our national co-chairs are former Senator, uh, Senator Lieberman uh, and actually uh, Larry Hogan, who's the governor of Maryland and, currently.
1: Uh, so Republican and a Democrat yes. who have some national stature. OK, this is pretty exciting, I think, what you guys are doing now. If people are just tuning in, we're talking with Ryan Clancy. He's the tre- chief strategist for No Labels. For the last decade or so, they've been a nonpartisan, non-governmental uh, uh, group that has been trying to make government work again. Well, th- next year, or I guess two years from now, technically, they are potentially in a role to redefine politics as we know it. There was an article in The New York Times, column by David Brooks, that basically says you guys are beginning the process – of putting a presidential candidate on the ballot. Before we get into the who and the how, why? Why are you uh, making this effort, which is Herculean, one of the most difficult efforts in the Western world in terms of ballot access? Why are you making this effort to get an independent candidate on the ballot?
3: Well, so it's really simple, and it's important to make a distinction. Um, What we're doing is creating the space for an independent candidate to run, if and only if it's needed. So about a year ago, we just started looking over the horizon. And as we were talking about earlier, we've spent all our time working in Congress for the last decade. Uh, But it's not hard to look at what's going on in both parties and imagining a scenario where 18 months from now, it's the spring of 2024, and both parties put forward candidates that are so divisive that tens of millions of people all across the country go, I can't do this. I can't do the least bad options. Somebody has got to give me another choice. Well, if that's where the public is at, if somebody hasn't done the groundwork to actually get a line on the ballot where you can run, then it's too late. So we started the work of doing that. Um, so we are actually on the ground in states right now getting something called ballot access. Um, we can talk about what that means, but it's it's making sure that when people go to vote in 24, it'll say Democrat, Republican. And then there'll be a line for no labels, potentially for a candidate. Let's say either the Republicans or
1: the Democrats do put forward a candidate that uh, you find acceptable. You being not Ryan Clancy, but no labels. Larry Hogan's certainly been talked about from time to time as a presidential candidate. Would that mean that there would be no no labels option for the presidency? Correct.
3: Yeah. So because the way ballot access works is when you go to get on the ballot in any state, You're actually getting on the federal ballot. So you can run candidates for president, Senate, House, if you want. Um, So in that case, we just wouldn't look to fill the line. Uh, We we have no interest at all. No one wants to be a part of an effort that is like a, no offense to Ralph Nader, um, he's a great guy, but um, a spoiler effort. Um, We don't want to get involved um, just uh, to do some kind of vanity effort um, with the the greatest possibility being we're just going to throw the race to one of the major party candidates or another. So let's talk about that, because when I spoke about your efforts on the radio,
1: I got calls from the left and the right concerned about just such an eventuality, right? Um, A lot of Republicans blame Ross Perot for costing... Uh, George Bush the election in 1992, a lot of Democrats blame Ralph Nader for costing, uh, you know, uh, Hillary Clinton the – excuse me, uh, Al Gore the election in 2000. Some people even blame Jill Stein for helping cost Hillary Clinton the election in 2016. If you're running a candidate that is on the ballot in swing states, places like Pennsylvania, Ohio, Florida, you know the list – how do you prevent the no-labels candidate from—I hate even using the term because I don't give a lot of validity yeah. to the whole idea, but our listeners do. Yeah. How do you prevent the no-labels candidate from playing spoiler? Well, the
3: first thing is if it really looks like it's going to be a spoiler effort. Like you, you, polls are not gospel. You can never know out of the gate how things are going to go. But you have a, a reasonable sense out of the gate whether you have a shot. If it looks like you don't, then you just don't offer your your line to a candidate. That's number one. The second thing is people are right to be skeptical about the history of third-party candidacies in this country. I mean, we're set up as a two-party system. And to be clear, No Labels is not trying to blow up the two-party system. That's why we call this an insurance policy. This is is a single moment in time. Um, In a lot of ways, it would make us uh, happier than anything to not have to do this. But we feel like there's a need, and and it's interesting you mentioned Perot in '92. Part of why we think this is different is if you go back to 1992, and we've studied that race a lot. First of all, Ross Perot was actually leading in the spring of that year. Then he suspended his campaign. Then he had a couple terrible moments in the campaign, including his vice president notably forgot where he was um, in the in the debate that he was in. Um, but in the end, he, he got 19% of the vote. But he was running against candidates that, in retrospect, were center-right and center-left in mm-hmm. Bill Clinton and George Bush Sr. I don't think it's a stretch for people out there to imagine, 18 months from now, candidates that are not remotely center-right, center-left. Candidates that are not remotely mainstream in their disposition. And that's what we're trying to guard against. We'll talk with Ryan Clancy. If you want to learn more about No Labels, by the way, you
1: can go to nolabels.org. Aside from the question about being a spoiler, the question I've gotten most often when I've talked to friends and family about what you're doing, and when I've talked about it on the radio is, well, who's to determine who's extreme? And I think that's a fair question because there might be some people listening to us right now that think Joe Biden is a fairly moderate guy, either legislatively or temperamentally. And there might be some people that think that even Elizabeth Warren is kind of a a moderate person. Uh, Some folks may think Donald Trump is the most extreme of extremes. Other people will point to the fact that he adopted a lot of traditionally Democratic positions and that uh, they don't believe that he is extreme. Who's to determine whether the Democrats and or the Republicans are nominating
3: divisive candidates, extremist candidates or candidates that are within the mainstream? Yeah. So I think the short answer to that is ultimately no labels is not going to be the one deciding if the candidates are too extreme. Now, ultimately, we'd be the ones having to make a decision whether it makes sense and it's feasible to try to fill this ballot line. But we're going to be looking at what the sense of the public is over the course of the next 12 to 18 months. So if, if you look at polls now, I mean, they're unmistakable. If you think about the kind of environment where you need an environment like this or, or you need, a, excuse me, an effort like this, it sort of starts with, OK, is the public really cranky and dissatisfied? And on every measure you can imagine, they are. Do they like Congress? No. Do they like the parties? No. Do they like the major figures in either party? No. Are they happy about the economy? No. Are they feeling good about where the direction of the country is? No. And so you look at those things, and I think I'd, I'd question the premise of, of the question, which is why is it that every election, so many elections, people say, I don't like the choices. Mm. I wish I got something better. And then somebody comes along and say, well, we're going to create a space where there's at least an option for something better. We're not going to apologize for that. I'll give you one final data point that I think will really hit people, is in 2016, in the primaries, between Hillary and Trump, together in their primaries, they got 30 million votes. Well, there's 220 million or more registered voters in this country. So in effect, in 2016... 30 million people in the primaries decided for the other 190 million, here's your two choices. Are we happy with that? I mean, is, is that how we want it to always be, that we're always going to be subjected to a very narrow set of choices, um, a binary choice? In most elections, that's fine. But what if it isn't in this one?
1: It's talking with Ryan Clancy from No Labels. Check out their website, nolabels.org. So in terms of mechanically— how this process is going to work. I understand the independent petitioning process, I think, as well as most, better than most, I would say. But in terms of who's going to be the entity or the body that selects the no-labels presidential candidate, if there is to be one,
3: how is that going to work? So we're still developing exactly how the process uh, will work, and that's only because there are so many different ways you can do it. So what we know is we, we have, like, a North Star, which is... The process has got to be transparent. It's got to be inclusive. But it's got to ensure you're going to get a candidate with no labels values on that ticket um, if you ultimately go forward. The kind of extremes you want to avoid is there's this sort of, on the one hand, a totally elite-driven process. It's like how the Vatican picks a pope. Right. You know, like a couple people in a room. Mm -hmm. Here's your pope. Here's your president. That's really not going to work. On the other hand— you know, you can't do some sort of online free-for-all. There was actually a group that tried that about 10 years ago. Right, Americans elect. Yeah. And, right. you know, before you know it, it's like Britney Spears is on your on your ballot. No to Brit- right, offense sure. to Britney if people want her to run. but um, So you got to find that sweet spot in between. We have a team that's working on it, um, and there will be more to come on w- that. Will a- individual rank-and-file
1: members of the public be able to participate in that process of uh, select-
3: of candidate selection or anything like that? So- or... Or will they not uh, it 'll likely be a universe of no labels members mm-hmm. uh, now look in the end, if we put somebody on the ticket, every american 's going to choose because they 'll have a choice a chance to vote for them in the general election so if people want to join no labels and potentially be a part of this process, the best way to do that is to go to the website no dot org is where you can become a member. Um, regular updates on this on the status of this whole project and um, would really encourage people to get involved.
1: There are a couple of other entities that seem to be moving forward with a yeah. similar option to what you're talking about in 2024. Uh, You have the uh, cryptocurrency billionaire Brock Pierce, who appears to be moving in an independent direction. And then you have uh, this Andrew Yang, Christy Todd Whitman, David Jolly forward party, which says they want to run candidates for everything, potentially including the presidency. Can you envision a scenario where no labels might partner with one or both of those groups?
3: So right now, those groups are um, pursuing different strategies than we are. Um, And look, this is – The more, the merrier, right? I mean, everybody who's got a good idea should have a chance to get in there and and offer it. Forward is by and large part trying to start an entirely new party from the ground up. Um, They're going to be running state and local candidates, state ledge, city council. We're not doing that. One of the things that has always defined no label since the beginning, and you kind of got at this earlier – Yes, there are people in this movement that are sort of centrist or moderate, but they're from all across the political spectrum. And the idea, the whole idea behind no labels is you don't have to say, I'm not a Democrat, I'm not a Republican anymore. So um, you should be able to keep your political identity. The point is, is that that shouldn't be the the defining thing about us. I shouldn't think your idea is good or it sucks just because there's a D or an R in front of your name. So...
1: If I'm a Trump supporter or a Bernie Sanders supporter that's frustrated with the way Washington works, and there are many, right? Mm -hmm. A lot of people voted for President Obama because they were sick of politics as usual wanted to change. A lot of people voted for President Trump for the same reason. And in a lot of swing states, some of those were the same people that were the Obama-Trump voter in places like Michigan and Pennsylvania. If I'm a Trump supporter or a Sanders supporter— am i somebody that uh, you'd feel comfortable being a member of
3: no labels uh, absolutely I, with a certain with a, a a key condition it it is not about what you believe in terms of policy you might ha- like some left wing ideas you might some might like some right wing ideas and that's how i am i kind of like
1: yeah. a, one from column a one from column b like a chinese menu of the the, thi-
3: the thing that matters is your attitude and it's do you on some basic level believe that we live in a democracy, um, nobody's going to get to be king or queen for a day. And so to get things done, typically I'm going to have to work with other people, often ones that I disagree with. And that's kind of the organizing idea. If you talk to any of the members of like the Problem Solvers Caucus, they'll tell you, hey, there might be eight out of 10 issues where we really vehemently disagree But why should that foreclose us from working on these two issues right right here? Right. Um, And you've seen a lot of instances like that. One of the great examples, if you talk about like the right and the left coming together over the last couple of years, was criminal justice reform in 2018. That was a left and right wing coalition kind of meeting in the middle for different reasons. But they both got there so who cares
1: Absolutely uh, you saw that I mean there's a lot of examples in recent history the stripping taxpayer money from the presidential nominating conventions the stripping the tax exempt status away from the National Football League the uh, just this week the house uh, with that bipartisan bill reforming how mergers take place uh, there's a number of instances where where you see this both in domestic policy and foreign policy so just to be clear no labels uh, is not looking to build a third party the way no. the forward
3: party is. No, You're we're just not.
1: looking to put out a third option for 2024.
3: If we need it. And, uh, you know. If the uh, public demands it and if the
1: public needs it. There are going to be, if the no labels candidate gets uh, in excess of um, 5% of the vote federally, there's an opportunity for whoever the no-labels candidates would be four years after that right. to get some sort of federal funding. So it would almost seem like the better the no-labels candidate does, the more seeds that are planted for a future third-party movement. You're, but,
3: right, you're right. I mean, that's not, that's not our goal, but you're right about that's how it works in most states. Um, you, you have to go through this very arduous process, and we can bore your listeners with how to do that if you want. But it, it's really just signature gathering. Uh, but if your candidate gets 5% of the vote or more, you're typically automatically – automatically qualify for the next election. If you don't, you have to do the petition process over again.
1: Uh, what's next? What's next in this whole process?
3: Uh, so much of the coming months is this ballot access work. So h- here is a chance to explain it. I mean this is a million and a half signatures or thereabouts you got to get over the over the course of the next 18 months and different states have different deadlines. So there's some some states that you can do now and we're doing that now. There's some states you can't do till next year. Different quarters of the next year and there's some you can't do till right. 2024. New York, for
1: instance, can't start till 2024. Correct.
3: And and there's wildly different requirements. Mm-hmm. Like Delaware, if you get 900 signatures, you're on the ballot. Texas, you need 126,000. Some you have to do it a certain amount in a certain number of counties. So so much of what we'll be doing will just be the kind of legwork of getting signatures. The other big thing we'll, we'll be doing, and this is why I'd encourage people to go on org, is really working to build up a movement behind this, like a true grassroots national movement um, that would ultimately be the fuel or, uh, you know, an independent campaign if it's needed.
1: Yeah, no, I know how tough that process is to get a candidate on the ballot in all 50 states and how expensive it is, which is it why is. Yes. Uh, you're going to have folks that are worried that you're going to throw the election to Donald Trump, accuse you of being funded by right-wing sources and folks that uh, are worried that you're going to throw the uh, election and cost Joe Biden the election, accusing you of, um, you know, funding from, or, you know, vice versa. You get it, both sides of the extreme. If
3: we're getting it from both the extreme, extremes. We're probably doing something
1: right. No, I think this is very exciting. Uh, I uh, am for more choices and more voices, and always have been, and I definitely encourage people to learn more about what you're doing by going to nolabels.org. Ryan Clancy, thank you so much. Keep us posted as this process unfolds. Thanks, Frank. If you want to comment on any portion of our discussion, you're welcome to give me a call, 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-9222. We'll continue straight ahead. scotch and one beer. I know a lot of you are probably familiar with the George Thorogood version of this song, but this version of this song by John Lee Hooker is uh, pretty good as well. I really like it. I, uh, I'm going to be in Atlantic City on Friday for Harry Hurley's charity event. You know, I reached out to some of my contacts there to make sure my room was squared away and have
4: not heard back
1: yet. So I am going, have to, uh, going to have to, I'm um, going to Follow up. Hopefully. Well, hopefully we'll get a room. Now, uh, usually the way things work in the Moreno household is as follows. I will take a personal issue, usually a, a question that we're trying to answer as a family, a, a conflict that needs to be resolved, a problem that needs solving, whatever the case may be, and I will talk about it on air and then I'll be inundated With dozens of emails, SMS text messages, Facebook correspondence and the like of people who will offer their opinion on whatever it is that I ask for. And I will forward this to my wife, Rachel, and almost without exception, she will say something to the effect of I don't care what your lunatic listeners think. She will say if they're crazy enough to listen to you. And be up in the middle of the night. Then why am I going to take their advice over X, Y, Z? It could be what? it could be a, a feline related issue. It could be moving related issue. Well, yesterday was a different ball game. I was entertaining my son, and he was up early. He was up early yesterday, and um, I uh, usually he wakes up at around the time that I get home. But he was up. He and my wife were up by the time I got home yesterday. So I'm playing with him. We're having a good time. And I see my wife is busy with something, right? And I didn't ask too many questions because I see my wife's already frustrated with whatever she's working on. And I hear her speaking to no one in particular, certainly not to me. She says, I don't understand how these products, which are awful, have so many great reviews on Amazon and wherever else. And then I I hear her. I think she may have even used profanity. I don't remember. But she was clearly very frustrated at uh, 7 o'clock in the morning, 7.30 in the morning. And she said, all right. Turns to me. And now she is talking to me. She says, I want you to talk to your listeners. And you have to ask for recommendations. Because I just ordered this door draft stopper, which got all sorts of great reviews And it's a piece of junk. It doesn't work. It does this. And I, I said, what, a door draft stopper? She says, yes, something that we can put on the bottom of our door and stop drafts from coming in. So now this is an official request from Mrs. Moreno about how to stop these drafts from coming in. So if you have a door draft stopper of some sort that you, I don't know that you like, please email me, Moreno at wabcradio.com. Actually, frank.moreno at
11: wabcradio.com. I actually do have door draft stoppers. And what they are, it what it essentially is, it's cloth. Right. And then you stick foam in on each end, and it slides on one end of the, the foam, is on one side of the door and both sides.
1: But now I,
11: I got to find out which brand it is. I, it's, I've had them for but, years because
1: that looked like what she was using this morning and was unhappy with.
11: And right? sometimes they do slip off a little bit, and you just kind of like move your foot and push it back in. It's not that the ones that I have aren't that bad, and we have hardwood yeah, floors.
1: The one, uh, see, I'm trying to, um, I, I I can't pull up the one that she uh, that one that she said that she was unhappy with, but apparently it's one that she saw online. It had all sorts of great reviews and she thought it was terrible. She thought it was terrible. So uh, I don't know what the, I don't know what the story is, but um,
11: the terrible in what way? It's it's not, it's not keeping the draft out. Is it slipping? I I think,
1: I don't know. I don't know. I was busy with, with young Carmine, so I didn't get a, a list of what the problem was with this specific product. But um, I, uh, I, I, she told me to ask for recommendations, so I'm asking for recommendations.
11: Well, Frank, the first rule of sales is to qualify the customer and what they are looking for okay. and what well, their product
1: well, is. Well, I'm looking for a working but- door draft stopper.
11: But we don't know what the problem is that was in the first place. I, the problem is it didn't work. <laughs> that's it. What it didn't work.
1: Yeah, that's the problem. It's like
11: going to the mechanic going, my car. it just doesn't work.
1: Yeah, well, they, it doesn't Five work. Yeah, it's why. Yeah, exactly. John is in Freehold. Hello, John. Hey,
9: what's up, Frank? I had a question about um, what Tom Clancy was talking about, if that's all right.
1: Well, Tom Clancy is a writer. Uh, Ryan Clancy is from No Label.
9: Oh, uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Ryan Clancy, my bad. Um, I I'm just curious you you why can't you just put your name on a ballot like isn't that rigged I mean it, I, don't, like, I don't understand
1: like, what do you mean
9: Uh you have to go through so many hoops and pay so much money to try to get your name on a national ballot for like president Yeah right? it's outrageous
1: no other western you know, democracy why, why do, now- does this
9: yeah, if we're a democracy, why is that? That's just a rigged system, oh, then. I, I, I,
1: you're going to get no argument from me. I mean, welcome so, to the argument that I've been having with the public
9: for the last 40 years. So can we can we not go to, like, uh, the Supreme Court and put it forward? You like, know, it's you so know. interesting
1: that you say that because— um, I actually had this on my list of subjects to go over at uh, in the fourth in the fourth hour of the show. I may skip it today because I feel like with an hour with Richard and then a half hour with Ryan Clancy, maybe that's a lot of politics for one show. But. Um, the Supreme Court actually had the ability—they had the uh, they could have heard a case challenging the stringent ballot access laws in Georgia, and the Supreme Court has decided not to even hear the case. Some voters in Georgia, which has some of the most uh, tough, most stringent ballot access laws in the whole country, they, um, they were challenging these Georgia restrictions. Supreme Court wouldn't hear the case. So um, the Supreme Court could— put a stop to this, but they have chosen not to. They're part of the machine, I feel like. Yeah, and
9: of course they are. I'm thinking about it, it might be hard to do that.
1: Yeah, no, uh, it's that's a great point, system,
9: though. Then. then no matter what you do, it's always going to be, you know, just Democrat or Republican or, you know, now we're getting these guys in here, but they're also politicians, you know? It's, yeah, uh,
1: yeah, no, uh, that's uh, that's a fair point, John. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the reasons that I, even when there are third-party candidates that I don't agree with, That's one of the reasons that I'm always rooting for them, because a lot of times, like with Nader in 04, John B. Anderson in 80, Perot in 92, they will challenge a lot of these unconstitutional laws. And I think that makes a big difference. Until next hour, keep asking questions.
0: This. Is the other side of midnight with Frank Morano? They're running a
2: strange program, y'all. Now,
0: here's Frank Morano.
1: Good morning, everyone. This is the other side of midnight. I'm Frank Morano. One of the things that we've seen in New York and some other jurisdictions for a long time is that um, certain restaurants, I don't know what the rule is in different localities, different municipalities, but in New York, I believe it's chain restaurants with 10 or more locations, and that includes movie theaters and things of that nature. They are mandated to display the calorie count of whatever it is that you're ordering, and I'm all for that. I think if um, people had a better idea of the nutritional value or lack thereof of what they were eating, they might make smarter choices. And the reality is if you look at the American diet, it is literally killing us. We are seeing high blood pressure go through the roof. We are seeing diabetes go through the roof. Obesity is a big problem. Um, and uh, look, I've been very open. My weight is something that I've uh, struggled with for uh, a long time. And uh, I'm a am one of I'm sort of one of these yo-yo dieters. I'll uh, I'll lose weight. I'll put on weight. And they say that's the worst thing for you. But, um, you know, being transparent about my my issues. But the uh, the fact of the matter is, if you look at what the average American is eating, it is killing us. It is absolutely killing us. And there are all sorts of other implications for what is in the food that we're eating, because it's not just we're eating big portions of food that is going to make us fat. there's all these chemicals and this man made garbage that's in our food that might be having untold implications on what we're what we're consuming. There is a theory that part of the reason that children are experiencing puberty at a younger and younger age, is because of the hormones that are pumped into milk and into cows and into meat and into chicken. There's a theory that part of the reason that men are suffering from declining testosterone levels is because of what's in food. It's a theory. I'm not saying that's the case, but I have heard it proposed by some very smart people. Well, I kind of like this idea... That's been put out there. Some of you might have heard about it. The Food and Drug Administration is going to research and propose a standardized front of package labeling system to help consumers more readily understand nutrition information. This came out last week. The proposed update to the existing setup in which nutritional information is provided primarily on the backs of labels, is part of the Biden administration's effort to help consumers make healthier choices and to, quote, shift our healthcare system away from just treating disease to preventing it. I'll be honest, I kind of like the idea. I think a lot of people are purchasing food uh, because it tastes good, because it's cheap, because it's habit. And they have no idea what's in the food that they're eating. High fructose corn syrup is a big villain. Partially hydrogenated vegetable oil is a big villain. And um, one of the things that's just fascinating to watch is how our government subsidizes corn. And it subsidizes people to grow corn. So what, what does that mean? It means corn is in everything. It's in our fuel in the form of ethanol. It's in our food in terms of everything having corn syrup in it. And there's a great documentary that covers this. It's called King Corn. I'm sure it's available on a bunch of different streaming platforms. But um, the fact of the matter is it's just, just horrible for you. A lot of things being written over the years about the preservatives that are in things like diet soda and other, other calorie-free snacks. And I think if people could see on the front of their label what was in the food they were eating, I think it would lead people to make some healthier choices. Or if they chose not to make the healthier choice, at least they, it would be an informed choice. At least they would know that the second ingredient in their favorite snack food is something that has more syllables than um, than people even knew existed something that they can't even pronounce because there's so many chemicals in it Monica Alba is a White House correspondent for NBC News she talked about this nutrition plan and this proposal to put nutritional labels on the front of foods.
12: Yeah, and the president is going to unveil
3: some executive orders directly aimed at this, and he's going to hold a White House conference on hunger and trying to improve nutrition and health with something that, yes, would be quite radically different, to see nutrition labels on the front instead of the back, getting kids more free school meals, expanding those CDC programs for people to do more physical health, and really just looking at more research when it comes to food security. Again, this is something the president is, is going to focus on here at the White House that he wants to bring worldwide attention to but start here at home to improve some of the programs we have.
1: So uh, I want to focus not on those other things about food and schools or anything else that she mentioned there, but um, I want to focus on the idea of the food label, the nutritional label being on the front of the packaging. What do you think of that idea? 800-848-9222, that 1-800-848-9222. This front-of-package labeling, which could come in the form of star ratings or traffic light images, it would aim to help consumers, particularly those people with lower nutrition literacy. It would supposedly help them identify foods that are part of a healthy eating pattern. Uh, The administration also said it would propose an update to the nutrition criteria for the healthy claim on food packages. Where do you see this going? Is this something that you'd be in favor of? Uh, as far as I'm concerned, I don't really think this should be a partisan issue. I think this is a truth in con- in um, consumerism issue. I don't think you should need to go play detective to find out what's in your food. How many calories, if those calories are coming from fat, if it's saturated fat, how many grams of protein something has, how much fiber something has. I think this should be something that is understood by anybody with a seventh-grade education. What do you think of this proposal? 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. Jay is in the Poconos. Hello there, Jay.
8: Good morning, Frank. Morning. So the chiropractor I use uh, in their office, they have uh, videos all the time of, uh, about big food, about the USDA, about the FDA, about the big food corporations and how they're all, like, uh, in cahoots with each other. And some high-ranking official, say, for instance, in the USDA, then becomes a board member of... Oh, yeah.
1: A revolving door. It's very... It's disgusting, quite frankly.
8: And and they go through that uh, uh, thing with the high-fructose corn syrup and how they, they even... You know, they force the farmers into buying these hybrid corns, which are different than regular, normal corn. And they they control the the seed population and, and the farmer's ability to recoup seed from his own crop. And it's really bastardly.
1: Well, so what do you think of this proposal for nutrition labels on the front of food? I
8: think, yeah, the more information you have, the better informed choice you can make. And uh, I think that's important because, you know, I'm struggling with weight issues and and, uh, the young people I see are even worse off because they're more sedentary, uh, less likely to do any kind of manual labor. And uh, it it affects your health in the long
4: term.
1: Well, uh, thank you, Jay. Um, So that's one vote in favor of this. And uh, look, maybe some people think that the food manufacturers already have too much of a burden to bear. I don't think that's the case. I don't. I think that, um, you know, big food has largely gotten a pass from villainization over the last couple of decades. We've seen big tobacco villainized. If you say you're a lobbyist for big tobacco, that's the surest way to be uninvited from your favorite cocktail party. Uh, booze, same thing. Uh, big pharma, forget about it. The, But if you look at what big food has been doing in terms of some of the legislative practices that Jay just alluded to and some of the garbage that they are putting in food that they are shoving into the mouths of children, it's very disingenuous and it's dangerous, quite frankly. And I'm curious um, what you think of this very mild step to have the nutritional information of food be on the front of packaging. 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. Coming up in just about 10 minutes, we're going to talk with uh, Craig Stone. Craig Stone is the co-host of the only Atlantic City podcast that I regularly listen to. And it just so happens, and we're airing on Baltimore now on a great station, WCBM, very proud to be on WCBM in Baltimore. And it just so happens that one of the recent editions of this podcast, Due for a Win, they critiqued, they did a trip to Baltimore. They had a trip to Baltimore. So, I thought it might be fun for both the New York, New Jersey area listeners, the Nevada listeners, the Baltimore listeners to hear how uh, somebody compares and contrasts the casino culture in places like uh, New Jersey and New York versus Nevada versus Baltimore, Maryland. I've never been to any of the casinos in uh, Baltimore, Maryland or in the Maryland area. But uh, Craig Stone has, and he's going to tell us his take on on that. And we'll also get an update on what's happening in Atlantic City. I'm going down to Atlantic City on Friday uh, on a trip that I'm very much looking forward to. 800 848 if you want to comment on this, um, on this uh, proposal to have food, nutritional labels in the front of food. Now, I had the opportunity, I guess over the weekend when I woke up at uh, 4 o'clock or so, To watch something, that was on Netflix. It had come out two years ago on Showtime. And it's called The Comey Rule. And it was a four-part, I believe it was a four-part miniseries based on the biography of James Comey. And it's interesting because I read the... um, I, I made an effort not to read the reviews. I knew it was based on James Comey's book... And I've never really had a high opinion of James Comey, um, even long before Donald Trump was president. I think he was an awful FBI director, but I had a—I was critical of him when he was a deputy attorney general. I was critical of him when he was a U.S. attorney. I have never been fond of James Comey, not as a person, but for doing all the jobs that he did. And then I thought, um, really, almost every public decision that James Comey has ever made, I have found to be the wrong one, honestly. And the way he's handled it, I found it to be the wrong one. I found James Comey's career to be one of total grandstanding. So I knew this miniseries was based on his book, so I didn't necessarily have a high opinion. I, I didn't expect to love it, right? And I didn't. I didn't love it. I watched all four parts, and I was. you know what got me curious about it is two years ago when this first aired on Showtime... I was flipping through the channels and they had on um, a, a, a snippet of this show and the actor that played uh, Donald Trump, I thought was interesting. Brendan Gleeson. I thought it was an interesting sort of Trump, um, a, I don't want to call it an impression, but an interesting characterization of Trump. So I, w- I watched this film, this, uh, this show, as I do everything, with an open mind. And sure enough, I didn't love it. Not necessarily because I don't like James Comey. I didn't love it because, one, it hits you over the head with the theme that it's trying to cram down your throat. But also, it's not really great drama. Uh, And it, it tries to cram six or seven years worth of history... Each of which could be a two-hour film. Each of those years, it tries to cram it into four one-hour episodes. So the drama was not very compelling. I'll tell you what I thought the highlights were. One is Brendan Gleason as uh, Trump. Uh, I thought that was that was interesting. Two, Jeff Daniels as James Comey. Uh, even, I thought I'm a fan of Jeff Daniels as an actor. I thought Jeff Daniels was terrific as James Comey. But he was great, and I, whom not, I'm not crazy about Comey. Daniels made him much more likable to me than I expected to like him, and I'll tell you who I found to be the most endearing character in this whole mini series, and it's also somebody that I'm not crazy about as a as a as a political figure or as a prosecutor, and that's Rod Rosenstein. Um, it's very interesting the way this. Show is told, and I'm not going to give anything away, but a lot of it is told through the narrative of Rod Rosenstein. I don't think these are things that Rod Rosenstein actually said. He, of course, was the former deputy attorney general, a former U.S. attorney. I, I don't think these are things that Rod Rosenstein actually said. These are things that were inserted into the mouth of the character Rod Rosenstein as sort of a narrative device and as a way to give people like me who are critical of Comey a voice and um other than that i think it um i think it's interesting look if you're very interested in the hillary clinton email scandal if you're very interested in the meeting that uh, that trump had with uh, with james comey it might be worth watching but chances are if you're interested in that stuff You've probably, whatever your view of how that all unfolded, chances are, if you're interested in that stuff, you've probably read a lot about it. So you're probably not going to learn very much about it. I asked Richard Offair, Richard Bay, who um, is certainly not a fan of Trump. I asked him what he thought of it. He said he liked the book better, basically. He said he thought it was okay. And I think that's a good description. It's not great drama. That's what I'll say. Um what it did do, honestly, is it gave me a little bit of a new appreciation for why Comey made some of the decisions he made. I still think he made the wrong decision every single time. But at least in hearing Comey, and I'm sure this is true if you read his book, but at least in hearing Comey explain those decisions on camera, I still disagreed with them, but I i at least understood the rationale behind Making those decisions. So, um, if you're a glutton for this stuff, if you're a junkie, and you can't get enough of this stuff, you might enjoy it. It clearly, they released this right before the 2020 presidential election. And I think the director, Billy Ray, certainly had an interest in influencing the outcome of that election negatively towards Trump. But I think um, most of the people that were going to vote against Trump were probably already folks that um, had a negative view of Trump's handling about this stuff from the beginning. I'll tell you who else is good, in addition to Brendan Gleeson and Jeff Daniels, and that's Holly Hunter. Holly Hunter plays Sally Yates. She's terrific. Terrific in this. Here is a uh, a trailer from, uh, from the Comey rule.
9: So we are now 15 days before a presidential election, and we have to go through 347,000 emails. To determine if one of the candidates in that election needs to be indicted,
0: Russia, we think they're
2: trying to sabotage
5: Secretary Clinton's campaign. How? Never spend much time on Facebook. Hours to go before the polls begin to close. Wisconsin, you see the lead? This is a sweep. Dr. Comey. The
0: networks have all called it for Trump. No one has ever succeeded like I have. This was not espionage. This was an attack. You're going to get clobbered, Jim. Jim Comey, he's more famous than me. I really look forward to working with you. Let's take a picture. We've now been presented the dossier
2: concerning Russia and its connection to Trump. Putin began cultivating
13: Trump as an asset, helping real estate deals, hundreds of millions in loans.
7: That constitutes a real threat to national security.
0: Would you like to come over for dinner tonight?
7: Just the two of us?
0: Nobody gets treated. As unfairly as I do, it's disgraceful. Sir, sure. I need loyalty. I expect loyalty.
5: The president just committed a crime in your presence. Stop deciding what we do and don't need to know. It's so crazy in there.
0: We're steaming towards an iceberg. I want to know what you can do to lift this Russia cloud. If we ever
2: put anything above the truth... It's a bell that can never be on rock.
5: Comey, he's a bad guy. He's a dishonest guy. You're being pulled into a conspiracy by Sally Yates. Do you really not know how screwed you are? You went there to put bad guys away. Not to help them to compress
4: it. He thinks that being right will save
1: him. It won't. That line there towards the end, so that's from the Comey rule you can watch on Netflix if you're interested. That line there towards the end is very interesting. Because that is one of the, it is basically, it does put Comey on a pedestal. I I think it portrays him as much more heroic than I think anybody thinks he is. But it really does, um, I think, capture what the problem with Comey is. Comey, not by any means everything, because there's a lot of things they don't depict in this. Like how they went out of their way to sort of entrap General Flynn and the like. Uh, But Comey... It seems to me that his problem is, and they get into this a little bit on the on the show. Comey's problem is that he thinks he's better than everyone. He thinks he is morally superior to everyone he's ever worked with, everyone he's ever encountered. And that is depicted in the in the show. I always um, I always characterized why Comey was doing the things that he was doing as a desire for grandstanding. The show has led me to rethink that a little bit, and that maybe it's more a result of self-righteousness, which I'm not sure is any better than grandstanding, but at least it's caused me to rethink it. One review on uh, Rotten Tomatoes, which I agree with. Rotten Tomatoes is a website that reviews television and film. It says this, and I agree with this. This was the closest review. I read a lot of reviews, left-wing sources, right-wing sources, non-political sources. This was the review that I most agreed with. Despite some impressive performances, the Comey Comey Rule's chaotic approach to current events clarifies very little, further obscuring the facts of already confusing circumstances without adding much insight. I agree with that. I would like to see a good film or a television show about this whole Comey affair, but I'd like to see it made 10 or 15 years from now when a lot of the people that um, were involved in this whole Comey affair are no longer on the world stage. 800 9222 I am curious, by the way, on your uh, take on this proposal to put nutritional labels in the front of food packaging rather than the rear. Adele is in the Boogie Down Bronx. Hello, Adele.
14: Uh, hello. hello. Uh, yes,
15: I, I, I would strongly recommend that because it's for health reasons and nutritional reasons to know what's in our food.
1: Yeah, I, and, uh, and allergies. Oh, that's know, a re- great point. That's a great point. You think people are, are consuming a lot of allergens that they may not even be aware of? Yes. Yeah. So that's I'm with you, Adele. I think we're on the same page on this one. Curious if anyone disagrees. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two.
9: Mike is in Lake George. Hello, Mike. Good morrow, Frank. Good morrow. Howdy. I'm chilling out. I'm chilling out in Myrtle Beach. I'm a snowbird for six months. But that's Wonderful. right. Wonderful. Uh, yeah. How,
1: and you, you know, did you did well was, with that storm and everything, right?
9: Uh, yes. I got here, uh, let's see, I got here Saturday. My mom and my good sister were those friends uh, just north of Fort Myers. Thank God they made out well, you know. Wonderful. And, um, yeah. Yeah, man. Um, I might take the good ship Lollipop later on, a little gambling cruise ship. Uh, for a couple hours. Cool. And seniors getting up free today, Thursday, so I don't need a coupon. (laughs) But anyway, uh, you know, as far as uh, the the information, uh, uh, food labels on the front, uh, I was telling Ken before, you know, at a certain age, during the pandemic, everyone gained, I think, an average of 20 pounds. Sure. All I do, I look at the label, how many many calories in this product? How many calories? (laughs) That's the only thing that registers in my head, you know? But, uh, hey, Frank, always a good show, and it's great to... uh, uh, to see that you got a national show. And all I have to say is bring on the Padres. Let's go. Bring them on. You know,
1: uh, Mike, uh, I'm certainly glad that the Mets ended the season the way they did. But honestly, yeah. I don't want to use the term tragedy because I think tragedy should be reserved for things like natural disasters where people lo- lose their homes and things like that. Right. But the the way that the Mets ended the series, uh, again, the way that the Mets ended the season – in the penultimate series against the Braves, was was almost tragic. And it's the most Met thing right. ever, right? So they're in right. first place yep. the whole year. The whole year. All they had to yep. do was win one game. They have their three best pitchers pitching, and they weren't able to win one game. And now here come the Braves. They've won the division after the Mets right. were in first place the entire season They've won the division. They're going to have home field advantage and a week off. Uh, they're not going to get worse with home field advantage and a week off. And now we have to go, um, you know, uh, traipsing all about San Diego and uh, dealing with them. And then our bonus, right. if we beat the P- Padres, is we get to play the best team in baseball, the Dodgers. It's a very, it's a very, it's, it is. it's, it's such a men fan thing to have happen to us.
9: Right. You hit the nail on the head. Uh, All we needed to do was win one. And Atlanta, you know, uh, uh, they are just, you know, a young upstart team. The minor leagues are solid. They're solid at every position. And, uh, no, they got the broom out. And we were in first place the whole season. Uh, The last time we won 100 games was in 88. And, uh, you know, uh, in a short series, I I was saying to friends, the ball takes funny bounces. Anything can happen. And I hope the Braves, you know, with their their uppity attitude and you know, uh, they're going to lose. I hope the first <laughs> the first team they play, but uh, eventually, you know, we're going to have to meet the Dodgers. Somebody will. Yeah. And uh, in a short series, you know, if they call baseball the game of inches, Frank, golf has got to be a game of centimeters. <laughs> All right. It.
1: Thanks, Mike. You know, I'm going to try and get down to Atlantic City early enough tomorrow. Tomorrow's Friday, right? Yeah, tomorrow, so that I could place a bet on the uh, on the Mets for the Friday night game and hopefully win some money as the Mets win their game. Paula is in Manhattan. Hello, Paula.
14: Hello, Frank, and oh. I'm calling you because you said you wanted somebody who disagrees.
1: Yes, by the, all means, um, disagree away.
14: About the uh, labeling.
1: Sure, go ahead. Why, tell me why you disagree.
14: I disagree because um, it's redundant. The information that they want on the front is already on the back, and I find it just absolutely absurd to put... Companies uh, make them jump through a whole bunch of hoops, more hoops, and expense, which is just going to be passed on to the consumer, which is which is always the case. And 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 I figure that I mean, for me, if a consumer is too lazy to just turn a package over, I mean that's no big deal. I mean I do it all the time. I'm 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 a compulsive ingredient list reader. Um, I ha- have to uh, read all of the ingredients before I purchase anything. And um, it's there. It's there. You just have to turn it over.
1: Well, so, Paula, I guess, the, and I don't disagree with anything you say, and everybody should look at the back of the label and do their homework as a consumer. But why is it so much more of a burden for the manufacturer to put the food label, the nutritional label on the front rather than the back?
14: um because it's just going to cause them um everything all of these things when they start uh putting more regulations on companies um it always turns out to make things more expensive um they're going to resent that i mean it's already there they're going to have to they're going to say oh my god we had to uh have people come in and 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 redesign the packaging mm-hmm. and we have to use new packaging and throw out the old packaging and it's going to Entail expense always does when well, changes are made. Hey, Paula. And, and 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 it doesn't make sense to 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 make products more expensive, or to to cause um, manufacturers to to do something like that, which which is so simple for the consumer. It's not as if they're taking the corn syrup out. Or taking, you know, the bad right. No, you're, right.
1: you're right, Paula. Uh, Paul, thank you. I guess I'm not convinced that it's going to be that much more of an added expense for food manufacturers. I kind of think that it would be almost the exact same. It would just be more transparent for the consumer. That's where I'm coming from. Hey, um, speaking of being a consumer, uh, Craig Stone is a consumer of casinos. We're going to get his take on uh, his recent trips to Maryland and to Atlantic City and find out what's happening in Atlantic City as we do the AC report straight ahead
0: The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Marano It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Marano, Frank Marano. Frank Marano. This is the AC report
2: night and they blew up his house too down on the boardwalk, they're ready for a
1: fight gonna see what them racket boys can do now there's trouble busting in from out of state
10: and the DA can't get no relief gonna be a rumble on the promenade
2: and the gambling commissioner's hanging on by the skin of his
15: teeth. Everything dies, baby, that's a fact. But maybe everything that dies, someday he comes back.
1: Put your makeup on, fix your hair up pretty. Atlantic City by the band. Uh, This is my favorite version of that song. Obviously, originally conceived by Bruce Springsteen. And the Bruce Springsteen version versus the band version of this particular song was one of the many fascinating Atlantic City topics that was recently covered on the Do For A Win Atlantic City and Casino Biz podcast, which is... The only Atlantic City uh, podcast that I regularly listen to. I never miss it. I subscribe. And um, it it was interesting to me, now that we're uh, airing in Baltimore as well, I'm trying to find more ways to find – Uh, make the content relevant, the content we talk about on this show, relevant to folks listening in Maryland as well. And it just so happens that on a recent edition of the Do For A Win podcast, where one of the co-hosts, by the way, is a Marylander, the other non-Maryland portion of this podcast happened to make a field trip to Maryland. So we thought uh, maybe that's Kismet's way of saying that we should be uh, doing a uh, a, re- a visit again to the Do For A Win crowd, and uh, very, very pleased to be joined by the co-host of Do For A Win, Craig Stone. What's good, Craig?
16: It's good to be here, and it's always good to talk about Atlantic City, or or Maryland in this case.
1: Now, your, your co-host, Kyle, is indeed a Marylander, right?
16: Yeah, we're both actually from Maryland, but uh, yeah, I moved up to New Jersey, so <laughs> I guess I'm, I've renounced my Marylandism and... So for, proud New Jersey for
1: Marylanders that are uh, that are thinking of renouncing their Marylandism uh, and heading up uh, up north, why did you move up to New Jersey from Maryland?
16: Uh, well, my wife's from up here, but <laughs> I always wanted to live in New York City. And so she ended up in grad school in New York City. So we lived in Manhattan for five years. And then once the kids started happening, it was time to. Get some more space and move out to Jersey.
1: Well, so the, all we're seeing all of New York and New Jersey move to Florida. Would you recommend New York or New Jersey for Marylanders that are thinking about uh, leaving their state?
16: Sure. Okay. <laughs> I'm, yeah. not, I'm not <laughs> trying to
1: put words in your mouth, Craig. I'm mean, I'm curious about your honest uh, your honest opinion.
16: I mean, I love New Jersey. I love Hoboken uh, and I love Atlantic City, obviously, and and a lot of the shore. Um, the the property taxes are insane, though. So oh it, you know, yeah. it's hard to, <laughs> uh, that <is laughs> hard to sure. make that recommendation. That right
1: is for now. sure. All right, so tell me about your uh recent trip to um, to to Baltimore. I know you took in a Ravens game, and then uh, you made your, I think, first trip to one of the casinos down there. To give us the highlights and the lowlights.
16: Yeah, I think it was my second trip to Maryland Live. I, I went maybe four or five years ago, Um and. It was a similar experience. It's it's ten years old now. That casino it opened in twenty twelve. Uh, it's a casino that was built in a parking lot of a mega outlet mall. And from what you're picturing from that description, you're probably exactly right about what <laughs> <laughs> what that casino is. Uh, it's it's nice, but it's very generic. It's it's got a cheesecake factory in it. Um, I think, and I think that about sums it up. <laughs> it's got a food court. It's got a lot of slot machines. Um, it's got some table games and the limits are fairly high. Uh, and it's just always very, very crowded. I mean, it's in a really crowded part of, of Maryland um, off the I-95 corridor um, in Anne Arundel County. And it's just always extremely, extremely crowded. So, so it, that's a little bit of a, a downer on that part. Because, oh, sure. you know, I, I sort of like to wander around and just find a machine and it's, it can be hard to get on a machine. It can be extremely hard to get on a table. Um, but it's it's plenty nice. I mean, if you're just in that area and looking to get a casino fix i think it's a perfectly nice casino i don't think it's really worth going out of the way like i have to drive past atlantic city i mean i guess you've got to go east quite a bit to get to atlantic city coming from north jersey but uh you know i'd much rather take that detour and go to atlantic city than then go to maryland live or horseshoe which i've also been to a couple times and where's um,
1: horseshoe where's horseshoe
16: horseshoe is in baltimore it's right next to the raven stadium gotcha gotcha um, so you can add one of the little hacks is you can actually park there if you're a diamond, uh, Caesars oh. member or, or above. Well, <laughs> you can park there for know. free on game days. <laughs> but
1: if you're a New Yorker or close to, um, uh, close to Atlantic City or close to Las Vegas, for instance, you would definitely say it's not worth a special trip to go to Maryland Live. It's really something that exists for the convenience of people that live near there.
16: Yeah. I mean, it's a locals casino and and it's, it's a little nicer than I think what what you picture as a local's casino, Um, but it's – yeah, it's there for people who live in Maryland. They don't expect people to come from out of town. They don't need anyone to come from out of town to make plenty of money. So, <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's fine.
1: But now, uh, getting, getting back to the um situation with the Atlantic City song that we talked about, you and Kyle talked about this in a recent edition – of, uh, of do for a win by the way if people want to check out do for a win they can search it where wherever podcasts are available or just go to do for a and hear the episodes on there here's a, a little bit of the uh, discussion that you and kyle had
16: back to atlantic city the song <laughs> I, I have no comment because i'm not familiar with the other band so they play at uh, hard rock i think semi regularly mm. i saw like a 12 year old kid in his outside johnny shirt the other day at a playground and i was like what, what? If I went to a Southside Johnny show, I'd be the youngest person there by 20 years. Anyways, the band, the Canadian-American band, formed in Ontario in, like, the 50s. They were around forever. (laughs) One of the original six, shortly. Yes, one of the original six bands. That's why they were allowed to be (laughs) called the band. That's right. (laughs) Covered Atlantic City in their 1993 album, Jericho. And if you are in Atlantic City and you hear this song, it is probably the band version because it's much more upbeat it's certainly played a lot on the boardwalk from the billboards or whatever they are the tvs yeah and that is the band version if you listen to the atlantic city report on the other side of midnight with frank morano he also uses the band version as his intro to that so if you need a song titled atlantic city for your spotify atlantic city playlist please use the band version and not the Springsteen version because nothing will make you want to go to Atlantic city less <laughs> than the Springsteen version.
1: Uh, for starters, Craig, I appreciated the shout out there. It was very nice as I was driving home, uh, being able to hear that, uh, that shout out second. I'm curious what kind of uh, pushback, if any, did you get to those comments from the Springsteen fans? I've noticed the Springsteen fans are almost cultish in their devotion to Bruce. And I have to think you ruffled some feathers with those comments.
16: No, no pushback. Nobody likes the Springsteen version of that song.
1: (laughs) You know, you what you said there is right on the money. It is a bit it is a bit more depressing
16: than the band version, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I think that's the point of the song. Yeah. but you know for people who actually like atlantic city that's that's not the vibe that i think of when i think of atlantic city
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah no and it it, uh, it certainly is not the vibe that i get it either um it, by the way you we, we were talking about the um baltimore casino i would think a lot of the people that lived in maryland used to probably make the trip up to Maryland on the last edition of your podcast, you guys were theorizing, maybe even making a trip to Philadelphia. Certainly not long ago to go to the casino there. Uh, not long ago, the folks that live in Philadelphia they would certainly go to Atlantic City. Now there's three new uh, three new casinos that are coming to the New York City area. Used to be that New Yorkers their only option uh, was uh, for East Coast gambling was Atlantic City. You guys love to crunch the data and really dig deep into the data. What do you think all these casinos in all these neighboring jurisdictions means for the long-term prospects of Atlantic City's survival?
16: Uh, it certainly probably doesn't help. I mean, I think the the first big thing that hurt Atlantic City was the Connecticut casinos mm. because it took away the monopoly that they had on East Coast casinos. and And the story of Atlantic City really is that they've never – invested properly in making it something beyond just a casino destination and when they were just raking in money hand over fist in the you know 80s and into the early 90s um i mean for a time it was it made more gambling revenue than las vegas did despite having only ever having as many as 12 casinos um so even during that time it was just a rush to get as many people into the doors of the casinos as you could. You kept everyone in the casinos. You try, there was no no attempt to do anything to make the city um, really more of a destination than that. And so that's starting to not be the case anymore. You're seeing more grassroots development. um, Like we've talked about on the show a bunch of times, um, the, the orange loop development, which is the, the new restaurants, um, Mark Colasso, who I think you've had on the show before, yeah, has is. done a lot with that, um, opening restaurants and stuff that is not in any way related to the casinos, not invested in by the casinos, and and drawing people out of the casinos to go to that kind of stuff. We've got the the water park opening. So there, there's starting to be more of that development that hopefully will keep people who are coming from Philadelphia and are coming from Maryland and are coming from New York going to Atlantic City. Um, so, I mean, I think the people who go to Atlantic city now and love it or will continue to go. But yeah, if you're in New York city and and Atlantic city is your easiest gambling destination, once that's not true anymore, it's certainly going to mm-hmm. siphon off some of that population. I know, you know, Philadelphia now has uh, two casinos in Philadelphia. It's got one just outside of Philadelphia. The parks in Delaware is not that far outside of Philadelphia. So I know that they've lost a, a good portion of that, but I mean really the numbers are actually pretty good right now like Atlantic City's doing pretty well now post um all the closures for the pandemic so uh it is promising in that case but uh, yeah, it'd be certainly the thing that everybody's afraid of is the New York casinos coming and taking away a lot of New York business.
1: You talked about how the data su- suggests that Atlantic City casinos are doing pretty well right now. Do, do you know if a lot of that is due to the sports betting and the electronic gambling, the online gambling, or is a lot of that good old-fashioned brick and mortar people playing on slot machines or tables?
16: Yeah, I mean, certainly the, the narrative that you see a lot is that it's all online and sports, and that is bringing in a lot of revenue and at very low overhead for the casinos, which is good for them. And And in New Jersey, the rule is you have to have a physical casino in Atlantic City to offer sports betting or to have online gambling. So it really does just benefit those casinos. Uh, but we really only focus on the brick and mortar numbers on our show uh, because you can gamble anywhere in New Jersey on the sports apps and on the online apps. So as far as we're concerned, we only really care about the health of the city and how the casinos physically in the city are doing. And the brick-and-mortar numbers are also doing re- really well. That comes through in in the profit data also. So uh, it seems like people are physically going to Atlantic City, and, and so the casinos are doing pretty well that way too. What was your last trip to Atlantic City? Uh, it was a few months ago. I think it was – july <laughs> i can't remember at this point point. and uh what were your impressions
1: how, how did you think things were how would you rate your trip i listened to the post-trip report but how would you rate it
16: i really loved it i mean I've, we've we've gotten so good at doing so much non-casino stuff um everything is really crowded all the, all the time which is good to see uh i know my co-host kyle actually just went midweek he went on a tuesday mm-hmm. night uh and it was not crowded because it was a tuesday night in september and uh, his complaint is midweek which i almost never go i I always go friday into saturday or something like that a lot of stuff was closed for for him so trying to get dinner stuff was closed trying to go to a bar he tried to go to the piccoli pub and it was closed on a tuesday so that's a totally different experience but yeah for me going on weekends it's always been great and yeah, we just had a, had a really good time.
1: Great. Now, if anyone doubts the influence of your podcast, and if people are just tuning we're talking with Craig Stone. He's the co-host of the Do For A Win Atlantic City and Casino Biz podcast. You gave a lukewarm review to the coffee at uh, Water Dog at Bally's, and this was a restaurant – that everyone – relatively new, about a year old. This was a restaurant that everyone was high on. Whenever I would visit Bally's, whenever I would talk to people from Bally's, whenever I'd be in Atlantic City, everyone would always say the same thing. Oh, have you been to Water Dog yet? Have you been to Water Dog yet? People seemed really into it. Sure enough, after your lukewarm review as to the coffee, Water Dog has closed. What's going on there? Why'd you kill Water Dog?
16: Yeah, I feel a little bad about that. I mean it wasn't just a lukewarm review. I said it was the worst coffee I've ever had in my life. Um, So – Maybe that was a little bit far. I mean, it really was the worst coffee I've ever had in my life, (laughs) but uh, the food was fine. The service was okay. But uh, I think for them, it's probably just really hard to run a 24-hour restaurant. Mm. Um, You know, casinos historically have always had that 24-hour coffee shop, but I think the relationship of, you know, it's not owned by the casino. It's somebody... You know presumably leasing the space, I think that it's really hard to make make a go of that twenty four hours seven days a week. I mean, I just talked about stuff being closed midweek. when you don't have that option and you've got to always be staffed and you've got to always be open and always have the food available and that kind of stuff. I'm sure the costs add up very quickly um It's a little surprising it only lasted a year because it did you know people did seem to like it a lot, like you said
1: now obviously it's unfair to compare the kind of food establishment where you go for a uh, a quick um you know what's that donut you like the toasted coconut donut
16: yeah, which I, I haven't seen lately. It's just a regular untoasted coconut donut. No, it's outrageous.
1: Donuts. I mean, it goes to show you uh, how far society has fallen that the toasted coconut donut, which was once ubiquitous, is now so difficult to find. Um, it's tough to compare a restaurant like that to a restaurant that uh, specializes in uh, fine dining, a place like Il Molino at Hard Rock. But if you had to pick, gun to your head, what would you say your favorite restaurant in Atlantic City is?
16: Oh, man. <laughs> We asked the tough questions, Craig. I mean, my I think my single favorite meal I've ever had in Atlantic City was at Izakaya at the Borgata. Mm. I just thought they nailed everything. It's it's like Japanese fusion, I guess. Uh, Kyle, my co-host, went and was not enamored with it. So, you know, <laughs> I guess take my, my opinion with a grain of salt. Uh, or a grain Doc's of Oyster House, in that case. Yeah, Doc, yeah, Doc's Oyster House Um, out – I think it's on Pacific Ave.? is is fantastic we both sing its praises all the time um i haven't actually been since it's been totally redone but uh everybody says it's amazing they have a they actually opened doherty's at resorts which is upstairs in the dining um level at resorts which the first time we went was absolutely fantastic everything was amazing the second time we went much more lukewarm on it. Hmm. um. So so I'd stick with Doc's probably as, right. as my number uh, one Makes restaurant. sense.
1: Hey, last question, Craig. You guys used to review an episode of Boardwalk Empire at the end of every show. For people that like Atlantic City, for people that have never been to Atlantic City, would you recommend uh, Boardwalk Empire with Steve Buscemi to either or both of those car- cate- uh, categories? Is this good TV for everybody? Is this good TV only if you're into AC? What did you think?
16: I think it's a... Good show period if you're into the Sopranos sort of style of, you know, HBO, big budget drama. The acting's really good. For the most part, the writing's really good. I, I think what I said on the show was just skip the third season, the Gip Rizzetti season. Just like read a recap of it and skip it. Um, the other thing I would really change is... Watch it. Watch more than one episode every two weeks. There's not (laughs) that many episodes in the show. Just plow through it and everything will make much more sense, I think, than if you're taking these long breaks. It took us two years to watch it, (laughs) which is ridiculous. But, yeah, I think it's a good show.
1: Craig Stone, uh, check out the Do For A Win Atlantic City and Casino Biz podcast. You could check it out at doforawin.com. Craig, hopefully I'll see you in Atlantic City sooner rather than later, all right?
16: Yeah, thanks a lot for having me on.
1: Thank you. If you want to comment on any portion of our conversation, you can give me a call 1-800-848-9222. This is the other side of Midnight straight ahead.
0: The other side of Midnight. 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 It's the other side of Midnight with Frank Morano.
1: Singing bad guy. You know, I read an interview recently. I'm sure it was a video, but I I read it in article form about Billie Eilish's rider. You know what a rider is? A rider is if you're a big celebrity and you're performing somewhere, you can basically have a list of demands of things that you want in your hotel room. Like Dick Cheney, for instance, when he uh, gives a speech, he always wants the lights on when he comes in. At least that was back in the old days. And so Billie Eilish in her official rider is um, she has a very specific kind of bread. It's called Char, which is a gluten-free brand from Germany. And uh, she always has to have peanut butter and jelly as part of her rider, her backstage rider. Crackers and chips, salsa and guacamole, pineapple and watermelon. And as for drinks, it's lemonade, chocolate milk, and something I've never heard of called poppy which is a low sugar probiotic sparkling soda that she apparently really really likes and peanut butter pretzels too. You know it's an interesting I heard a story from Jackie Mason. Actually he yeah, he told me this. When he was first starting to perform, they asked him what what's your rider? Now he didn't know what a rider was. So he just said, "Oh, give me Cosby's rider." And so the day before his first big show, they came up to him and they said, "Oh, sorry, Mr. Mason, we can't find a uh, grand piano. <laughs> Apparently, that was part of Cosby's rider, a big old grand piano. It's very funny. Hey, your influence counts. Make sure you use it.
0: This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Marano.
1: This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. Coming up in about uh, 25 minutes, we're going to talk with Brian Kilmeade. We're also going to give you an opportunity to try and win $1,000. I'm going to take your calls on uh, anything we've covered thus far. Uh, We'll also have some fun this hour, 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. And what we do try to have some fun uh, throughout the four hours of this program every day. When news breaks, whether it's good, whether it's bad, we have to bring it to your attention as is the case this morning.
0: The Other Side of Midnight proudly presents Breaking News. At
1: least 30 people have been killed at a child care center as part of a mass shooting in Thailand. At least 30 people killed in this mass shooting at this child care center in northeastern Thailand. Shooting took place at the child development center um, in Nangboa Lampu province. According to a statement from the prime minister's office, the prime minister has expressed his concerns. That is all of the details that we have at this point. We don't have any information about the shooter or any other injuries, just that 30 people have been uh, killed. And a very, very sad situation. And as we learn anything more about it throughout the course of the next hour, you can bet we'll bring it to your attention. And uh, if there's news on this, which I'm sure there will be uh, throughout the rest of the day, I think uh, all of the, um, all the great personalities that you'll hear after me will bring you all the latest news on this front. All right. 800-848-9222. I'm going to get to your calls in just a moment. I, as I've confessed before... I am out of the closet. I am open. I have openly admitted for years that I am a fan of the New York Metropolitans. Now, for many years, that has resulted in me being ridiculed. Uh, For many years, that has resulted in me being mocked, sometimes deservedly so. And uh, when I was a child, it resulted in me being bullied because I came from a Yankee fan community. And I have Yankee fans in my family. My dad is a Yankee fan. I have siblings that are Yankee fans. I hope so that my son can save himself the heartbreak of being a Met fan. uh, I hope that he is a Yankee fan. Because it's a much less emotionally uh, jarring thing to be a Yankee fan than a Met fan. But during the doubleheader they played, a couple of days ago during the uh, the penultimate day of the regular season the Mets are playing the Nationals and Keith Hernandez who's normally one of the Mets announcers he's on the DL he's he had this wild injury uh this wild shoulder injury it's a little a little strange but he's out so Gary Gary Cohen does the games he does the play by play and during the doubleheader For a lot of the innings that I happen to watch, instead of Ron Darling, who's normally one of Gary Cohen's partners, instead of Ron Darling doing the uh, color commentary, former New York Met Todd Zeal, who played not just for the Mets, he played for every team, seemingly. Um, He played for the Cardinals. He played. He was everywhere. Former New York Met Todd Zeal. Who also played almost every position there was in his uh in his career, which went in uh, a lengthy career. I want to say, did he play for twenty years? Sixteen years. Yeah. Played for the Dodgers, played for the Cubs, played for the Rockies, played for the Yankees, um, played for the Expos, played for everybody. He was doing the commentary, and I'm listening to Todd Zeal, and all of a sudden, I feel like I've heard this voice before because I've watched Todd Zeal play for years. And I've watched him do commentary, but it never really struck me that he sounds like someone else. This is a, a little bit of uh, Todd Zeal calling the, um, the Mets-Nationals game the other day.
0: Wow, well that's that lightning in the
13: bottle that you were talking about. Sits on a curveball, was beat on the fastball up in the zone. Edwards threw him the curveball, he sat back kind on of, it. I've seen him do that. And a lot of clips in the minor leagues, very good on the secondary pitches, the off-speed, the slider, the curveball,
3: and the changeup. Sat back on that one and knew it when he hit it.
1: Now, it's a little difficult to make out some of what Todd Deal is saying there because of the background noise because it's after a home run and there's a lot of crowd noise and so forth. But I'll tell you, the whole game, in fact, both games, except for when I briefly tuned over to watch Chris Cuomo um, I thought, I've heard this voice before. I think Todd Zeal has an audio doppelganger. And I swear to you, the person that I was immediately reminded of that I felt that Todd Zeal sounds suspiciously like is John Solomon, the former columnist and... Um, and contributing editor to The Hill, former Fox News contributor. Now he's the founder and I think the editor of a, a conservative news website called Just the News. He's a regular guest on, on radio. Uh, he was a executive editor. A, a, he was editor-in-chief at the Washington Times. He's on the Cats at Night show all the time. He goes on a, pretty much every center-right talk radio show that there is. And uh, he often breaks a lot of news stories. Listen to John Solomon's voice and tell me this isn't Todd Zeal's voice. I believe, and I don't know anything about Todd Zeal's journalistic integrity, I don't know anything about his politics or anything. Just in terms of how they sound, I think John Solomon sounds a lot like Todd Zeal. Listen to John Solomon.
8: Yeah, listen, it's the, it's the issue that the Democrats on the January 6th committee will not allow to be investigated. What did we know? What did we know it? And why did a $600 million a year police department be unable to uh, thwart a group of rebel rousers from overtaking the capital, And the, what we've learned is over through thousands of pages of documents we've gotten from sources that the Capitol Police Department repeatedly uh, received warnings beginning on December 21st, 2020, so three weeks before the rally. All right,
1: let me let me jump uh, in here. So now that I've told you to kind of keep an ear out for that, that's John Solomon. And I'm going to play you Todd Zeal again. Tell me if you think I'm onto something here with Todd Zeal sounding like John Solomon. Here's Todd Zeal.
9: Wow, well, that's that lightning in the bottle that you were talking
13: about. Sits on a curveball, was beat on the fastball up in the zone. Edwards threw him the curveball. He sat back on it. I've seen him do that in a lot of clips in the minor leagues. Very good on the secondary pitches, the off-speed, the slider, the curveball, and the changeup. Sat back on that one and knew it when he hit it.
1: Now, I don't know where uh, John Solomon is from originally, but Todd Zeal is from California originally. I think the Van Nuys area. I don't. I think that's where he grew up. He graduated from UCLA. I don't know um, if I don't know if John Solomon is from the same area. But um, maybe it's a regional thing. But to me, I thought it was it was eerie. And again, I wish I had more Todd Zeal clips for you to hear. But Alex Barnard took two days to come up with that one and that was the he said that was the most challenging audio assignment we ever gave him and uh, that's what, what we came up with okay that's fine but uh, i find their voices very similar what do you think 800-848-9222 matt blaze you are a professional audio um, whatever you are uh, yes. former dj give me your take on the zeal john solomon comparison
11: it's hard to compare because you're hearing Todd Zeal on a mic and you're hearing John Solomon the over the phone. But with that being said, you gotta stop sticking pen caps in your ears. You don't think it sounds like I don't like. think it sounds like him at all. Really? Maybe no.
1: maybe you're right. Maybe you're right. Uh, Kenneth, what do you think?
11: I personally don't
1: hear it either. You don't hear it either. <laughs> you know, is it possible that I listen to so much talk radio? that I've heard John Solomon on so many different shows that his voice is now just in my brain. Curious if anybody else either has noticed this independently or in the clips that we just played. I'm going to ask Brian Kilmeade this. When Kilmeade is here for 20 minutes, you know what's going to happen, right? Kilmeade is going to hear that question because I already throw all sorts of weird questions at him. I I guarantee you this is the only radio show Brian Kilmeade's ever been on where he's asked about Leonardo DiCaprio no longer dating 25-year-olds. And he's going to say, you know, I don't know why I agreed to come on with Frank every week. I mean, he's asking me questions about comparing John Solomon to Todd Zeal. The country's going to hell in a handbasket we got a presidential election coming up in two years. We've got a war in Ukraine. We have inflation through the roof. We have, um, you know, all, all all sorts of stuff going on, midterm elections. And Frank Moreno's asking me to compare Todd Zeal to John Solomon. Well, what do, what do they say? Buyer beware. Guest beware. 800-848-9222. Tell me what you think.
15: Pete is on Staten Island. Hello, Pete. Hey, Frank. First of all, I want to congratulate you and me, for the Mets having a victory, 19 what was it, 1969? I was at the stadium for the game with my father, and it was a memory I'll never forget. I also want to say to you about uh, I'm looking forward to November 19th at the uh, resorts uh, seeing uh, uh, Mr. Francisi with the uh, with his show. I uh, mean, i thank you for the tickets. That you so graciously, I called in, and I won, and uh that's that's the whole thing of it, and I hope this things uh with the election we gotta turn this thing around because i can 't take much more of this and i can 't think of anywhere to run to that's safe uh, even Florida is having issues i mean between a hurricane and crime
9: that's true so there's no way there's that's nowhere true. to go i can 't think of any place to go
15: that's true, so, Pete,
9: thank
1: you very much for the call eight hundred eight four eight nine two Two two. That's my. my uh, it's eight hundred eight four eight ninety two twenty two. Valerie is in the Queens. Hello, Valerie.
7: Yes. Hello. Hi. Um, yes, I'm calling about. Uh, I had a, an opinion about having food information on the front of packaging. Great. Let's hear it. Uh, I I don't think it would be beneficial for people because. Basically, if they wanted to if they were knowledgeable about food and the nutrition, they could find it as the previous caller mentioned it would they could find it on the back of the packaging so i i just don't i think that the reason that people people don't turn over the packaging to to uh view the contents is simply because they just don't know what they what to look for they don't really understand nutrition and actually uh doctors don't either they get very little training perhaps two weeks during their whole medical studies if they're lucky so
1: well that's disappointing uh what would you suggest then valerie If it's not this, what's a good first step in turning the diet of the American public around? Because I think you would agree that uh, we're essentially eating ourselves to death.
7: Absolutely. Um, I I think that uh, it would benefit people to uh, do their own research, to try to learn about different... First of all, there are different philosophies. There is no one... I mean although the um AMA might tell you that there is a you know a set uh, belief about nutrition that's our our medical studies there are lots of different opinions about what is the best nu- nutrition and um so you're you know you could but at least what people could do is try to educate themselves, go on YouTube or go online or or read about even the basics to try to understand what is a protein, a carbohydrate, fat. Um, studies do change all the time. What used to be taboo, like right. cholesterol right, was sure. uh, bad. Now, you know, now they have differing opinions about that. Thank you, Valerie.
1: Appreciate it very much. Uh, Yeah, uh, I hear what you're saying, but um, I still think, uh, you have not changed my mind, I still think that uh, if people had this information right in front of them, they would tend to notice it a bit more. And I think that might lead consumers to make healthier choices. And you know what? If it doesn't, so what? If it doesn't, still keep buying whatever kind of food you want. 800-848-9222. 800-848-9222. Let me say hello to Charlie in Florida. Hello, Charlie.
6: Hey, good morning, Frank. Good morning. Um, real, uh, before I come, after I come, in, and we can you put me back on hold? Because I, I want to talk to your screen about my check I never got back in March. <laughs> absolutely,
1: absolutely, yeah. He, okay. was a, he owes a lot of people money.
6: Yeah, <laughs> Well, at least I I won't go there. Um, The food thing, um, I don't. And also, don't let Carmine be a Yankee fan. Being an underdog fan gives character. And people who rag on you as a kid or bullied you, so what, man? You got your. It's like having a faith in a religion. You got your Mets, love them, or don't let anyone. Steer you into not loving them or your child. Let him make his mind. Yeah, up I hear you, Charles. You uh, you know, Charlie,
1: mat- I hear you. Look, obviously, I still root for the Mets. My my fandom is yeah. undaunted. It's just hey. I, if I can, you know, if I can save my son a few years of inevitable heartbreak that I know comes with being a Met fan, I would love for him to be that's, saved
6: that heartbreak. That's honorable, Frank, and I like that. And I thought about that when I had a kid whatever his steering, his road may be, and where it might lead to a better uh, beneficial, you know, less bullying or less headache. But um, sometimes headache is good, and uh, it'll build his uh, self-esteem. It'll build his character. It'll give him a backbone. And if he has to get into a few scraps, so be it, you know? But <laughs> exactly. The kids don't really argue about sports anymore. It's all about games, video games. Yeah, I guess you're so, right. I guess you're right, Charlie. You know, on, on Facebook and everything, there's Met fan um, website or uh, groups and all you see is each of the like the the Yankee people will infiltrate the Met group and rag, And then the Met guys will infiltrate the but the Met fans really have to understand. We have nothing to really rag on Yankees about. The only thing I can rag on them about is the twenty seven championships, I only go from from like the seventies on. Okay. That's when it's most uh relevant. The other twenty four, whatever don't count. Those were the days of old, and okay, we only have two, but I love them. I, I yo, know, I met Hojo one day. I cried in front of the guy. That's how I am as a fan.
1: Well, that's great. You know, I, I knew I know Hojo a little bit. I haven't seen him in a few years, but he's a great guy. As uh, I, I was very good friends for a time with his uh, his daughter Shannon and his son Glenn, who are uh, oh, wow. terrific as well. And his uh, his wife is. Um, is a delightful woman, and uh, they're a great family, a great family.
6: Listen, when I met him, it was at the Hall of Fame. He was signing autographs. He was sitting next to Dykstra. I got online just to shake his hand. I had to leave the line. Like, I got up there. I shook his hand. I had to run away. My eyes were welling up, and I don't know why. He just holds a place in my heart. The same with Bud Harrelson and Gary Carter and Keith. Keith doesn't make me cry. But I met him, and it's just an emotional attachment I've had, and I've always had. But when I meet Yankee players, I don't have that. Yeah. No, well, I mean, that's the thing. You're right. There
1: There is something about um, a character-building situation when you are a Met fan. It's kind of like the old Brooklyn Mm. Dodgers, you know, who's a bum? Charlie, I'm going to put you on hold to talk to Kenneth. Hang on. 800-848-9222. Yeah, you know, and Charlie lives in Florida, interestingly enough. Um, Howard Johnson's daughter, Shannon, who I befriended 20 years ago. She is a figure skating coach down in Florida. I don't know what part of Florida. I haven't seen her in uh, probably close to 20 years. But uh, wonderful lady and a beautiful girl back in the day. I'm sure she still is. Michael is calling from his bedroom. Hello, Michael.
15: Hey, Frank. Um, two topics. One is I think you're being – I I. Don't think you need to be a Solomon to know the difference between zeal and John. I think maybe you're being a little bit overzealous. <laughs> my second, not bad, not my bad. Second topic, my second topic is in reference to ingredient listing, okay? Very briefly, for many years I was in the, uh, in the printing business. Back in the 1970s, they issued the FDA issued a law that you must list ingredients by majority and then working down to minority elements in the ingredients. So if water is a major product in there, then you list that first and then you go down the list. Now, as far as putting the ingredient packaging the ingredients on the front, all you have to do is say, look for ingredient listing on back of package. However, having said that, look at the fat slops, the parents, and then the kids who are overweight. They go into McDonald's, and clearly on the board, it will say, uh, you know, uh, 1,250 calories, et cetera, et cetera that most people are ignorant, ignorant. Yeah, you're right. I mean, I think that's part of the problem. That's
1: one of the reasons, and uh, actually that's one of your better calls, Mike, from both a humorous point of view and from a substantive point of view. That's that's, uh, that's one of the best calls Mike's had in a while. But um, that's what I'm trying to obviate here. I'm trying to help, I, I hate to put it this way, but help rescue people from the depths of their ignorance by just forcing them to look straight ahead and not flip over anything. So, I don't know. Hey, um, you know what we're going to do? Those of you that are holding, if you want to keep holding, I will get to you, hopefully. But uh, we're going to give away, or at least try to give away, $1,000 as part of the $1,000 minute in just a bit. If you want to be the seventh caller right now, To 800-848-9222, we're going to give you an opportunity to answer 10 trivia questions in 60 seconds. So be the 7th caller, 800-848-9222, and uh, if you can do that, you'll be uh, given an opportunity to answer 10 trivia questions in 60 seconds. You can do it. You win $1,000. Simple as that. Uh, We'll do the $1,000 minute and talk to Brian Kilmeade straight ahead.
0: The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Marano. Other Side of Midnight with Frank Marano. Oh,
4: yes, indeed, we know that people will find a way to go, no matter what the man says. And love is fine, for all we know, for all we know, our love will grow, that's what the man says. Don't
1: you listen to what the man says? He said. I'll take it. Paul McCartney and Wings. Listen to what the man says. Listen to what I'm saying right now. Um, we better have someone do well in this $1,000 minute today because people are getting frustrated. That we've hit a long drought in terms of winners, and I'll be honest, I'm a little embarrassed that Brian Kilmeade, one of the most watched, one of the most listened to, one of the most read media personalities in the whole country, maybe the whole world, um, he listens every week as someone that is an avowed listener to me can't answer how many continents there are or something along those lines. So I would just ask you, please let us do whatever we can to put forward a good faith effort in this edition of...
0: The Other Side of Midnight presents... It's the $1,000 Minute. Answer 10 questions correctly in one minute and you could win $1,000. Here's your host, Frank. Murano. Thank
1: you, Chris Libertini. Uh, let me send it to Mike on Staten Island. Hello, Mike.
9: Hey, what's going on? I can't believe it's me.
1: Well, I, neither can I, Mike. I've been waiting. Uh, I've been waiting my my whole broadcasting career to talk to you.
9: Well, you did already, and I blew it once. But let's see what happens this time.
1: What question did you get wrong previously?
9: Uh something about the Senate, and I said filibuster, and it had to be two thirds majority.
1: Okay, all right. Well, that's kind of a difficult question. That's not like getting the alphabet wrong. Um, all right, Mike, you, you ready to go?
10: Yeah, let's do it.
1: Okay. What color are stop signs? Red. What Jewish holiday took place this week?
9: Rosh Hashanah.
1: No, it was y- Yom Kippur.
5: Oh, damn. And I just spoke to a friend yesterday.
10: Ah, Mike, kill me.
1: Mike, come on, man. Uh, <laughs> all right.
10: <laughs> Question about a person. I have a perfect answer
1: for you. What's the What's the question about a person?
5: Any question about a person?
1: Okay. Um. Well, uh, who was the British Prime Minister during World War Two?
15: Hamana Hamana Hamana. Ed Norton.
1: Okay. Well, that would have been good. That would have been funnier. <laughs> okay. I wish you would have answered that as the Jewish holiday. You would have been closer than uh, than yeah. Rosh Hashanah. All right. Uh, give Mike a consolation prize always like to help out a Staten Islander. Uh, Brian Kilmeade is uh, the co-anchor of Fox & Friends. He is a nationally syndicated radio talk show host, one of the most listened to in the whole country. Uh, He is a uh, terrific speaker, and he is a New York Times best-selling author. Also does a, a show that has become very highly rated on the weekends on Fox News as well. He's kind enough to join us each week. Brian, it's great to talk to you again. Frank, thanks for having me on. Uh, So the last time we spoke, Aaron Judge still only had 61 home runs. Now he's broken the record, at least by an American leaguer. Um, How big of a deal do you think this is? I think it's a real big deal. I'm going to have Brandon
13: Steiner on today in terms of dollars and cents. But it also brings up the bigger story. I don't know how many big baseball fans you have, but especially in New York. I mean, the guy is a single-season home run leader. and. The it's not Rob Manford's fault, even though I believe he was with Major League Baseball, that they they allowed the steroid era to take root. It's embarrassing that the home run king of 73 homers is Barry Bonds. He's not in the Hall of Fame because we all know he cheated. Mark McGuire admitted it and Sammy Sosa uh, forgot how to speak English when he was in Congress. We all know that he that he cheated. So this is the all time record, not just the American League record. And the fact is that baseball lets he leaves it out there. Oh, let's just make it seventy three. But we know he cheated. No, get to the bottom of it. Have a ruling over it. Commission a, a commission a steroid era council that consists of some players. Back then, we know about Caminiti and Bagwell, and we know about Aaron Boone's brother Brett Boone, who put on forty pounds as a second baseman and had one year. What about I mean, uh, Brady That's- Anderson. Had fifty home runs, never touched it since then. Is back to a group right. three Jose times to Canseco, size.
1: Rafael Palmero, The list goes on. He's the one who blew it open, Canseco.
13: Right. So address the era. Address the era. Nobody looks at Aaron Judge. There wasn't Aaron Judge. gets sixty-two. Behind him, I think the highest one behind him is like thirty-eight. I mean that that's the that's what happened when Ruth did it. the The record was twenty-seven before Ruth kept breaking it for four straight years. So baseball. You, the best thing you have going for you is your history. You realize the game's in trouble because it moves too slow into, with it, for this generation. You're revamping it. But you can always go back and compare eras, and that's what's great to see Maris's family follow Aaron Judge. But you're losing it by allowing A-Rod to, you know, to have 500 homers without an asterisk. And you're doing it when Barry Bonds is being interviewed about the single-season record. So take it
1: out of the fans'
13: hands and take over your own game, but, but Major so, League
1: Baseball. So what is the logical um, consequence of that? Let's say baseball and Rob Manford were to listen to Brian Kilmeade on this one and say, all right, we're going to recognize the fact that all these records that were set in the 90s and 2000s are are tainted. What would you then do? Put in uh, like a Maris style asterisk next to that Barry Bonds record?
13: Yeah, I mean, you you put him on, if you want to leave him on top and you put his starter and you write single season home run champ Aaron Judge until it gets broken. And it'll get broken, I'm sure. Uh, well, actually, I'm not sure. To, how long did it take? It, uh, took, it took, uh, another, you t- know,
1: 1961 when Maris yeah. did his. I but- don't know if it's
13: going to be broken.
1: But then, again, since Bonds has never admitted to the steroid use, unlike Mark McGuire, is there, is there then a pallor over, over the judge record if you take that record away from, from Barry Bonds? I have to refresh how he
13: left it. But Balco really directly went to him. His trainer went to jail for him. Uh, I believe if we go rekindle those records, it's all but a done deal. And
1: even the fact that at 40 years old, the guy was still hitting the no, could no, Major League Baseball. Look, you, could see how you, different, you could see how different his body looked from when he was with the Pirates towards the now end of Now he's down career. to 180 again. Now, he, he looks the way he did when he played uh, 30 years ago, that's for sure. Hey, uh, The other sports issue I've got to get your take on because you're a sports guy and you always do a great job analyzing where the worlds of sports and news intersect. Yeah. Is this situation involving the uh, the Miami Dolphins and their quarterback. A lot of criticism last Monday over the decision by the Dolphins to start Tua uh, after that, uh, that concussion that he'd suffered the, the week before. Folks are uh, talking about uh, how a lot of folks should be losing their job for this. They're saying this could be season-ending, maybe even career-threatening. What's your take on this Dolphins scandal?
13: Well, I mean, we had the guy who did concussion, and Will Smith played him in a movie, came out and said uh, Tua should never play again. Never play again. It is too much of a risk. Um, I think we addressed this heavily about five years ago, seven years ago, where kids weren't even putting, parents listening to us right now weren't putting their kids in football, and now it's starting to come back at every level. They have all these protocols. And I hear the trainer paid the price by getting fired, and the Players' Council did it, but in defense of the trainer, evidently, with the criteria currently on the books, he passed every test. Mm. So on Sunday, we're scared. On Thursday, we're horrified when he gets knocked out and his hands curl up. And they say that's a sign of severe brain injury when your hands, hands curl up. But evidently, he, he's fine today. So uh, you have to reexamine, literally, the, the protocol. But I also feel bad to a degree for the trainer so the trainer said you know goes out there and goes listen he passed every test Tua wants to go out there you think he'd be so being scapegoated? would be okay say okay i'm going to trump the test i'm just going to say screw it i i don't like what i see well a lot of people are going to be upset by that like how dare you uh take out this 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 first round draft pick who's now playing and having a career year in a, in a big game that's going to call by the way don't 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 minimize betting a lot of people have a lot of money on that game. I'm not saying the trainer oh, yeah. knows it, but oh, yeah. a lot of people saying, I got money on the game. I don't care about Tua. I don't care about the Dolphins. I just want to win money. So, And people are upset by that. Don't don't think that that's, that's a small thing either.
1: You alluded to the uh, situation a few years ago with concerns about CTE and uh, the role the teams were playing in that. A lot of parents being a little bit more reluctant to have their children participate in football brett Favre, who's tainted for a whole different reason now actually did a series of psas a couple of years ago saying that uh, he wishes he didn't play tackle football urging parents not to have their children play tackle football we're seeing now the pro bowl being replaced by a a flag football game this year do you think the long-term prospects of football at least professional football may one day not even include tackling
13: Wow, Frank, what a great question, and absolutely it will always include tackling because we like the violence in it, and the players like doing it. But I think they are – I think football did some smart things. I mean, with the whole head-to-head tackle, they used to teach spearing, remember? Right. You know, you put your head down and make the tackle. Uh, Now now it's illegal. Now you can't hit a – A quarterback in the head—you can't hit anybody in the head. You can't hit a a receiver in the head. I think they've done a lot of things. Remember, Daryl Stingley got paralyzed Mm -hmm. by Jack Tatum coming across the middle. I think they've done a lot of things to 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 uh, modernize the game. But but people listening to me right now are saying, uh, or us right now are saying, wait a second. Have you seen UFC lately? The hottest sport in America with, I think, the classiest individuals, the toughest guys and women who have nothing but, uh, for the most part, nothing but class. You see, they're going against a lethal weapon even in training. You're getting kicked in the head. So now uh, let's ban football. No tackling in football like Teddy Roosevelt said might happen. And now let's tell UFC don't hit as hard as you can. So I don't know if you can do that. I think there's going to be inherent risk in a game that America is watching like never before. Have you seen the ratings on this game? Do you see the smallest mm-hmm. game? It's the ratings are through the roof, regionally and nationally.
1: You're exactly right. Uh, let me ask you about another football player that has been making a great deal of news, uh, nothing having to do with the gridiron, but uh, having to do with uh, the Washington gridiron, as it were. And that's Herschel Walker, Republican candidate for U.S. Senate in Georgia. He did his first interview after this whole abortion controversy with with you, uh, because you're the guy that gets the big newsmakers. Here's a little bit of uh, Herschel Walker on Fox and Friends talking about these abortion accusations.
12: First of First of all I never just put an H on anything. I never have, and and I, and I said, you know, you know how many things I've signed, but I've never signed anything but just an H, and and I and I said that's why I said whoever is doing this is, you know, it's not true. It's a lie, right? And right now, that's the reason I say I'm gonna fight because you know I've been redeemed. That's one thing about it. I've been redeemed, and I'm gonna make this statement here. It's like they're trying to uh, bring up my past to hurt me. But they don't know like bringing up my past only energized me to go out and fight even harder because I've been to a 400 basis to talk about my book. And I'm not trying to sell books here because I knew the pain it had through mental health. And right Right. now they're trying to do anything in their power to take this seat, but they're not going to take it from Herschel Walker. So then this came out. I love the Lord Jesus and I got into this race because of my faith, because I see what's happening.
1: So the uh, Herschel Walker has been accused of paying for an abortion for a woman. The woman is also claiming uh, that she's the mother of one of his children. His other son, Christian Walker, who is a uh, conservative social media influencer, he's basically calling his own father a a liar. What were your impressions of Herschel Walker in that interview with you, Brian? And where do you think this leaves the U.S. Senate race in Georgia?
13: Well, uh, I I, ta- I went back and forth with them last night uh, around 9 o'clock. And for us, that's uh, that's 3 in the morning. So <laughs> sure. uh, for people listening right now, and you guys know some people are getting off work and some people are coming into work. But uh, they told me the internals had, say, a flat-footed tie. And the numbers are pouring in. By the time uh, we were done with that interview, they had made 550000 in 24 hours. Wow. I mean, Mastriani has 380000 period. So the money's pouring in. Uh, Doubling down now, Cassidy did not say Herschel Walker is my man. Everybody else has that I can see. You know, McConnell says we're going to be there every step of the way. Money's falling in. Uh, Lindsey Graham says I'm going to be campaigning with him. I talked to Ambassador Nikki Haley. She says I was there two weeks ago. I was really impressed how how eloquent it was uh, and and, and the size of his crowd and what law enforcement feels. And then um, uh, I mentioned Mitch McConnell. So uh, and then Senator uh, Rick Scott, he's the one in charge there's no There's no give remember when, when controversy hit Donald Trump, everybody jumped ship just about. so the controversy hit this uh, hit Herschel Walker now herschel walker's pro the best asset Herschel Walker has is he's running against a guy who's anything but a saint. You're running against a guy who says you can't serve the military and ser- and serve God. You're running against a guy who flat out wants to defund the police and called them demons. You're looking at a guy whose wife says his, left, his ex-wife says left us virtually impoverished because he's not paying child support, and now that he's got this increase as a sitting senator, has not even upped the money that he owed, even so they're bringing his ass back to court. Who tried to run over her and ran over her foot with a car out of anger, and says he fears him. So yeah, you might not like uh, Herschel Walker, uh, and and you might some you have problems with his explanation. But, you know, look at who he's running against. I don't know if that represents. The other thing, Herschel Walker, and I read his book and spent a day and a half with him, known him on and off for 15 years, and he had mental problems. And he said during the interview, I, I'm not saying I didn't have demons, but I've worked hard to do it. And in my book, I wrote about it. So when I did my book tour and since to others, I could talk to people about PTSD and emotional problems. He's got multiple personality disorder. He's dealing with that. He's got medication. I mean, literally, could shut shut off pain uh, uh, in his body, and was able to play play with basically a torn ACL. Um, he's got uh, he's got some challenges, but he won. He got it analyzed, and that's how he became this huge business uh, success. And we the athletic success was was always there. And now he's trying to turn into politics.
1: Yeah, it is, though. I mean, it's got to be a challenge when his son, who doesn't exactly have differing political views and has been a Trump supporter and a supporter of his father's campaign, is calling him out so publicly as being well, dishonest. I asked him that. Right. And all
13: he would say is, I love my son. I said, but he's killing you here. You know, and, and he didn't really have much to say because it's an odd, you know, it's an odd situation. You got to call your son a liar.
1: Right, right. No, uh, it's, uh, it's 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 got to be tough. Got to be tough. Uh, hey, uh, let me also ask you about the situation involving Hurricane Ian. We saw President Biden uh, with uh, Governor DeSantis in Florida yesterday. The two of them were out there together. They were talking about their relief efforts.
6: Today, we have one job, and only one job, and that's to make sure the people of Florida get everything that they need. To fully, thoroughly recover.
1: You only get there if it's a team effort. So, Mr. President, welcome to Florida. We appreciate uh, working together across various levels of government. What do you think, Brian? Are these two leaders showing the kind of nonpartisan maturity that Floridians have a right to expect?
13: Yeah. And, you know, we, he, but uh, uh, look, I like that Biden said the governor's doing a great job. Okay. And, and the governor said he didn't just say... Uh, you know, he says you got the federal government has been responsive and he needs a federal government. He talked to Chris Christie about that. And, and remember when he hugged Obama, sure. when he was a staunch critic of Obama, his, you could argue that his political career never recovered. But I talked to him recently about it. He says he has no regrets about it. Number two is what he said later I found offensive and I predicted it. Now nobody will doubt climate change. When the numbers about the number of hurricanes and the ferocity of them do not add up to the claims he's making, that's political opportunism. And then bizarrely, he's with the mayor, uh, local mayor of Fort Myers, or or, the, or of the county, and he says, um, "You know, nobody nobody f's with a Biden, and nobody. I know how you, we were brought up the same way. No one f's with you either." At the same time, Saudi Arabia is effing with Joe Biden <laughs> wow. and cutting production every day. Uh, we have Vladimir Putin effing with Joe Biden as well as China. You know, Mister Tough Guy. Number one, can he please understand what a microphone is? I mean, this guy doesn't stop. And, and, and w- what is he even saying? That's totally bizarre.
1: Yeah, it was a, little, uh, was a little bit of a non sequitur, to say the least, that's for sure. Uh, let me ask you about Florida and uh, its involvement with a number, another president, and that's uh, Donald Trump. He, president Trump is now asking the Supreme Court to intervene in this fight over records the FBI seized from uh, Mar-a-Lago. Uh, president Trump obviously has appointed three of the current justices on the Supreme Court. Where do you see this fight going from a legal perspective and a political one?
13: On hold. I think it goes on hold until after the election. And I think it should. Anything else that comes up which shows a political agenda and we're gonna be rolling our eyes saying, Are you kidding me? Uh you know, so it's gotta go on hold. Number one, when Trump asked for special master, my only question was, Okay, if you want a special master, I hope you don't have top secret documents there. Mm-hmm. Because if you have this extraordinary, you know, top secret documents, you know, if it's a If it's a letter from Kim Jong-un, I don't think it matters. Get a special master in there. If you think that they took all your personal stuff, uh, get a special master in there. But if you think that there's top secret stuff that could get you in trouble, the the special master is a temporary reprieve. It's a court win that will eventually blow up in your face. So it's all about what's in there, and now they're going to wrestle about what in it. Is. The fact that the FBI fought so hard against it made me think that Trump had something, that they knew that they took too much stuff, that they knew that a lot of the stuff wasn't bad, that they knew that they were in negotiations and there was no reason for this. So uh, the special master thing
1: could be problematic. Your ratings for the Saturday show are uh, absolutely, absolutely killing it. I mean, you're doing the kind of numbers on cable on the weekend that networks are lucky to get uh, during the week. One Nation with uh, Brian Kilmeade, uh, which is on uh, uh, 8 p.m. Eastern on, uh, on Saturdays. Um, what's, uh, what's in store for us this weekend? Do you have Saturday's show put together Well, yet? I mean,
13: I was thinking immigration. I mean, I'm going to solidify it today and tomorrow, but I'm thinking immigration. But I got up today, I'm thinking oil production. I mean, I'm thinking the fact that that, uh, Saudi Arabia is sticking a a fork in our eye. I'm thinking the fact that our oil and gas industry are smugly saying, Mr. President, you vilified us for the last two years. There's only one answer to this, and it is allow us to drill, start gutting the permitting process. We are punching less holes in the ground than we did since Eisenhower and uh, build some refineries and stop talking about renewables. And now he goes into the Strategic Global Preserve again. So I'm thinking about going uh, that direction, uh, you know, as well as talking about uh, 2022. The numbers show that people can't get enough of this midterm race. I mean, the off-year elections Mm. were intriguing. But now this is going to be huge. I'm sure you're getting with – because, you know, number one, people uh, who are competitive, you know, they they see the strategies in these Senate races especially. And they see what it will mean – if Republicans do a degree of control, do you know anyone happy with inflation and think it's no big deal? Do you know anyone happy with 7% interest rates and think it's no big deal when you're trying to buy a car, sell or buy a house? Or when you go shopping that people don't come back and six out of every 10 of our listeners are paycheck to paycheck and now the paycheck doesn't go as far? And then we also, if they're CEOs or restaurant managers, they know they can't get help. This is a bad Economic climate and the administration's insistence that everything's fine is driving people crazy. So that's what makes people really want to dig in. So I'll talk about that. I'm also going to have this this great comedian. Um, John Christ is going to come back. If you got to, you got to watch uh, this guy, if anyone has YouTube, you see some of his videos, he's definitely uh, going to be back again. Probably have Senator Ron Johnson. He's going to be on today's radio show. Uh, he's going to be back today. Um, and we're, we're, uh, we're talking to a few other people, so I don't have to really solidify anything until Friday. Yeah, gotcha. So we'll see where it goes. Yeah, but keep it, in mind, too, I hope our listeners, I know it's a long way away, but December 2nd in Newark, New Jersey, uh, between the ABC and Fox listeners, uh, I know it's a, it was the carjacking capital of the world. <laughs> Thankfully, New Orleans took that title. <laughs> but I hear it's a beautiful arena. If you just go to briankilme.com, I go on stage, talk about this, but also talk about our history uh, through the five history books I have as well as the two sports books. Yeah, terrific. So I think that's going to be the best be time I have.
1: December 2nd, and uh, people should definitely get, uh, get tickets But it's well. a Friday night. I don't know how you're going to go. Well, no, because I'm off Saturday morning. So that's Friday night is my one night where I can actually uh, stay up at a re- until a reasonable hour and then uh, sleep at a reasonable hour. But we'll we'll hash it out. We'll we'll, we'll hash it out. Now, maybe I'll get you a five-hour energy sponsorship. <laughs> I'll get you a t-shirt. So we'll sponsor to keep you up during that it. time. I love it. I'll get the nap in the afternoon. would will be fine. Uh, lastly, you mentioned uh, competition. Now, a guy that I engage in competition a great deal with is the minority leader of the city council, Joe Borelli, who comes over just about every weekend, and we play a battle of ping pong, and he told me he ran into you at Buck Sexton's wedding, and then we tried to figure out whether it was worth inviting you to play ping pong with us, and the consensus among the two of us was you're probably too good to play with us. Uh-huh. Uh, c- clarify that for us, Brian? Are you actually a decent ping pong player, or are you bad enough to play with us? Not since Mr. Baldwin, Alec Baldwin's dad,
13: was in summer recreation when we all played ping pong, have I really worked on my game. sure so you're talking seventh grade, yeah? But you have so, that
1: natural athleticism. That uh, worries us.
13: Well, soccer with my feet, exactly. Uh, but I don't know if I could do that. Uh, I would say this: my my uh, my fall. I am dedicating to my both my daughters playing college soccer. So I'm heading upstate every weekend. You guys do it on the weekends. I don't know how you put your real life on hold. And do something for yourself like that? that well, I mean, I'm, an em- I'm envious. You must do that very
1: early. Yeah, it's about 12 minutes. You know, these games go pretty quickly. Brian, uh, <laughs> we, we will— uh, Then you lose interest? Uh, no, no, no. I just lose the game. I lose the game. Oh. That, that's how that goes. Well, Brian, uh, it's always great to talk with you. Thanks. I'll uh, look forward to our next conversation, and uh, hope people check you out on Fox and & Friends and on the radio a bit later. Right. Can I just make a suggestion about your game, uh, your quiz game? Bring it Give on. people one miss. One miss, okay. Hey, I think the boss, John Katzenmatidis, is listening to you right now. So I think now that you've suggested this, <laughs> I think that uh, that probably makes a lot of sense. I will, or you can skip I'll run one. up the flag. Or you could skip one. Okay, okay. Well, but um, the danger of skipping, and people have asked about this before, is that you're worried about people looking up, looking up the answer. But you say skip and not go back to it. That's what you're saying. Yes. Okay. All right. Hey, that makes sense. We got to pick some winners. So we got, we got to do something. it right. needs to be lifted up. Thanks, Frank. Congratulations <laughs> on all your success. Thank you, Brian. Likewise. Brian Kilmeade. Uh, hey, 15 seconds of fame straight ahead. No skipping, no misses, no mulligans, nothing. 800 848 9222. If you want to comment for 15 seconds, that's 800 848 9222 straight ahead.
0: The other side of midnight. midnight.
1: Frank Morano. I am the. This is the other side of midnight. I am Frank Morano. If you want to um, ever know what kind of music we're playing, just join our Facebook group. Go on Facebook and search Morano Radio Fans and Haters. That's M O R A N O Radio Fans and Haters. It's also meant to be a forum for discussing the things that we do on this show, the things people like, the things people dislike, and uh, all sorts of. Issues in that realm. Uh, meantime, we're going to give you an opportunity to be heard for 15 seconds at 800-848-9222. It's time for...
0: The Other Side of Midnight. This is 15 Seconds of Faith. Frankie in hey! Glendale.
9: Anthony, good luck in Staten Island, my Fizan. I'm bringing in the bagels this morning. How you doing? How you doing? How you doing? Pete in the Bronx. <laughs> He's
1: a moron. He's a moron. Eddie in Nassau.
0: Joe Biden, poster boy for a man who sold his soul for fame and fortune.
5: Mike
1: on Staten Island.
5: Hey, Frank, I might have lost a thousand dollar minute, but I'm going to win today by getting a semolina burger at Dino and Son. Victor in Manhattan. Uh, When Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen was asked, can you define inflation? She replied, of course I can it's when you see petite girls who had too much silicone and 90-year-old men who used too much Viagra. Oh,
1: 800 848 Neo on Staten Island, hope you're feeling better.
9: Thank you so much for your well wishes, Frank. You and Ellen, I put you in the good book on page one. I had a Sophia Vergara and Gal Gadot. That's how much I think of you.
4: John
1: in Freehold.
9: <laughs> There's no bigger stinker than Richard Bay.
2: Frank in Ontario. <laughs>
9: Frank. Week from Monday.
1: All right, missed that.
10: Bob in Queens. It's definitely time for a death penalty for white-collar criminals. I'm sick of the garbage that we're getting. Kill them. Kill these members of Congress who are taking, doing insider trading. I'm busting my butt every day to make a living, and these bums are just doing it. Kill them all. Well, let me say,
1: do not kill anyone. Do not kill anyone. Do not kill anyone. Nobody should kill anybody.
9: Terry is in
1: Farmingdale.
9: Good morning, Frank. We should all be glad that Dr. Joe Biden is on call, just in case Joe soils himself.
1: And finally, Ina in Manhattan. I'm talking about
9: food. The chicken is not chicken. It's bird. The beef is not beef. It's meat. I don't know what kind of meat it is. I'm gonna open my own
1: chicken The only radio show with subtitles. Actually, why don't we end with Steve and Seaford? Hello, Steve.
6: Hey, how's it going, Frank? Listen, everybody should be looking into their PSE and G bills out here on Long Island. Seventy-five percent of it goes to pay for that failed power plant, Shoreham. It's a giant storage. unit. Thank
1: you, Steve. Hey, that slams the lid on things for today. I'll be back tomorrow with Ask Frank Anything. Frank Moreno. Good day.